Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I don't know shit about fuck. I like sucking. Legit bad podcast. Chicken fucker! Welcome to Costco. I love you. Penis. Welcome, everybody, to the Tribal Council of Tartaria. Uh, what's it called? I forgot I know, already. You came up with it. <laughs> Tribal <laughs> Council on Tartarian Relations. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fucking up already. You know how it goes. Uh, well, uh, we got a bunch of people in the house tonight, so I'm going to go around and uh let you guys introduce yourself uh but i have one question for you to answer while you introduce yourself plug your show tell people where they can find you and uh let people know who you are and then my one question is what is it about tartaria that you either don't believe or having a hard time understanding all right and we'll start with legit bat go for it oh thanks for inviting us dude we appreciate it happy, happy to you. happy to host on rockfin for you uh for yeah, man. isn't listening to our show or joe jen and ben ben we're still waiting on you know like usual uh but we we cover a lot of the same type of shit and mostly just with fart humor but we have we have a good time <laughs> doing it so the question on tartaria though uh what exactly were you wanting from that what it what, he wants yeah, to know what, what is we it? Don't, what is it that we don't believe or have a hard time understanding? And yeah. there is nothing, I don't want to speak for you, but there is nothing that I that I don't believe in. I believe anything is possible. <laughs> I believe that we have no idea what's going on. So I am very open to anything. Fair enough. Yeah. 
not, yeah. not foggy on any uh, of the details. Like me personally, I uh, the timeline thing, the missing thousand years kind of bugs me. I, I don't know how much that's true or how much that isn't true. And I'm still kind of iffy on that one. So uh, yeah, that'd probably be the foggiest thing for me is the exact timeline, which is also probably the hardest thing to actually nail down and prove. So I think yeah. we're all going to be foggy on that aspect, but that's why we have these talks, try to figure this shit out. I'm not really sure uh, if we know anything about anything, though, I guess is what I was saying. Like, I, we hear like this was this and that was that, but who knows how it really was. So I think we're all still trying to figure things out. And this is just one of the there's so many different stories that we have to research and dig through to figure out the real truth. Yeah, Matt. I'm Matt from the Great Deception podcast. Uh, I also have a show called the uh, Monday Night Master Debaters. And it's a round table like this where we get together and just shoot the breeze. Yeah. Uh, I've been getting into the the old world stuff now for uh, probably about a year. And uh, and I'm with you guys. The one thing that's never made sense is the timeline. And it, it, the reason being is that things just don't seem to fit with the way the narrative goes. And the deeper we get into it, the more you start seeing these contradictions of of themselves and and so the other thing in addition to the timeline i would say is the technology that's one of the things i cannot wrap my head around is you know w was there a use of of mercury or some substance that that gave them this advanced technology or what access to, to technology did they have that maybe we're not aware of and th those types of things are just fascinating because you know with the architecture that we see from the time and uh, the more we're finding out about frequencies, it's just fascinating how it all ties in. And, you know, the one thing with Tartaria or any of this old world stuff is the more you dig into it, the more you see it's a, a more vast picture. And it starts encapsulating a little bit of everything in all of these uh, aspects of life, whether it's technology, architecture, um travel trade everything seems to be impacted or touched by this excellent uh adam hey how's it going guys i'm adam uh i am from the deborah gets red pilled podcast um I'm kind of switching things up with the show now so i broke it into a few different shows i do um a conspiracy show with my friend chud x who should be here soon and we've been trying to get into a bunch of this alternate timeline stuff um and yeah i guess uh what got me into it was just you know i i'd heard other other people talk about it i heard max egan talk about it and i'd heard red bricks on tinfoil hat and it was just hard to find a place to like jump in and like actually like have something that clicked in my head and then i heard howdy mikowski on crow and on freeman fly and uh, talking about the exposition buildings and coming at it from a construction standpoint. And that's where it like really, really clicked in my head. I do, I, I build elevators for a living on, on big, big giant job sites. So um, that's where it clicked for me. The one thing I have trouble with is, uh, is the whole red bricks. Um, everything's a melted building stuff. So okay. um, I'm really excited to be here. I'm probably not going to talk too much guys tonight, but um, Michelle, it's an honor to be with be with you here tonight i'm really really excited to hear what you have to say all right uh andy deep share what's up yeah thanks for having me um i uh 
I would say the most fascinating thing that got me into Tartaria was the fact that there was some story that I heard years ago about a bunch of people showing up to some public event and claiming the rights of Tartaria on American soil or something like that. I can't remember the details and, I, and I've yet to find the article again, but <laughs> that's what intrigued me the most when it started to pop up again so recently. And um, the one thing, I don't know, let's see, what can I not get my head around is, yeah, I would say the timeline because I'm kind of hearing like pre-Russian history, but then I'm hearing like worldwide, international, covering the whole globe. And I know that at some point it kind of digs back into even further roots beyond that. So yeah, this is a big topic and I'm glad we have so many people here. Michelle, honor to be here to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks. Randy. Hey, what's going on guys? I'm Randy. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at randomfrax. Uh, working on getting a pot up here soon. So mostly going to be talks like this, just try to get to the bottom of everything. Um, Cause it's just the biggest can of worms I've ever even leaned into opening this Tartaria subject. Um, you know, at first I was just looking into things like Genghis Khan and that was kind of making sense. And that whole timeline thing came up that throws me for a loop. So I think the timeline thing, like a concrete timeline is going to be where I just throw my hands up in the air and I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I don't know if okay. things happened a couple hundred years ago or a couple thousand. We've been spun such a web that we live in that it's just uh, any little piece of information that I can get the rings true, you know, kind of has an intuitive sense. Um, I'm definitely in, in the game for that. So. Excellent. And um, Michelle Gibson. Hi, everybody. It's, it's great to be here. You know, for me, um, I've been interested in alternative history and Earth's mysteries since I was a kid. I'm watching In Search of and Unsolved Mysteries for those of you who might remember those shows. I was always fascinated by the history that we, we never got any information about. Um, I'm glad I didn't major in history because I think that probably would have messed things up for me. <laughs> um, but I've, I've had a genuine passion in, in, in just finding out what the truth is. And I've lived a life that's brought me into contact with a lot of information that led me down the road of researching and blogging. And I learned about sacred geometry and I have a pretty, pretty big picture understanding of what's happened here um, because of the nature of my research. Um, and I, I've ex really, really researched the timelines extensively. Um, so if anybody, you know, want to talk about that tonight, we can do that from what my understanding is um i think the biggest question that i have is something caused a liquefaction event all over the earth i mean the the pictures are all over the internet you just search for mud flood and you'll come up with all kinds of hits and um so i think the question is was it a series of events um personally i believe they were deliberately caused um, you know, there's certainly, you know, thoughts about the Carrington event and space weather and all that kind of stuff. But I think um, the people that are behind the New World Order were shovel ready for digging things out. And um, I think that's what was going on a lot in the 19th century. Um, but, you know, so for me, the question would be, 
what caused the mud flood? Was it one event? Was it several events? Was it directed energy weapons? Was it sound weapons? You know, what, what went on there? So that would be my biggest question. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. What's up, bro? Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy to be here talking about Tartaria. My family thinks I'm crazy. That's just <laughs> a statement I'm going to put out there. <laughs> Michelle Gibson's joined me on that show. Hi, Michelle. Nice to see you again. Randy has also joined me. What's up? What's so up, many man? people here have, actually. I shouldn't even go and point all the individuals out, but it's an honor to be here again to talk to all of you about such an interesting topic. I think, you know, so much of it bothers me, not because I don't like the topic, but just because it doesn't feel very organized. Uh, that being said, that doesn't, you know, discourage me whatsoever. I think if anything, um, the massive interest in the subject just shows that there's a lot of inquisitive minds you know, working on this task of organizing this information. Uh, I guess my biggest question, not for you guys, but for just the the topic in general is how does the free energy technology fit into the picture? Because I understand Tartaria being erased from history. I understand the communist Russian, you know, government in their position wanting to unify the culture wanting to erase any Muslim, anything else other than the communist mentality. You know, and that's what, interestingly enough, sparked this whole Tartaria thing, in my opinion. It's this leaked CIA document that, you know, out of context can lead to a lot of crazy implications. But I think within the context of what the United States or I'm sorry, what the United Soviet Republic was trying to pull off at that time, uh, it makes sense that they would want to rewrite history. And then, you know, to add that um, into the speculative realm again, we go back to the adventures of Marco Polo. And, you know, he wasn't just exploring China, he was exploring Russia. And like you guys all probably know, that area was called Tartaria in those days, or the Great Tartary. And we see not only Russia, but China having this communist government. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of other places in the world that have Chinese or uh, communist governments. But I think that to me is an indication of some sort of suppression. Uh, you know, there's rumors of, of certain structures in China being hidden from Google Maps and and even the Beijing Wall, the Great Wall of China itself, you know, Beijing used to be known as Peking, uh, used to be the palace of the Kublai Khan, which, you know, according to Marco Polo, he had an amazing palace. So, you know, without going all the way further into this information, I guess that's where my questions are, is how does the historical record of Tartaria fit into, you know, um, what we see uh, the more kind of extreme cases for Tartaria, specifically the high technology stuff. We'll go to Ben. Yeah, we'll go to Ben at Legit Bat also, who just uh, joined us. Uh, so the question is, what about Tartaria doesn't make sense to you? Or what is it that you just don't believe? 
it's hard to say what I don't believe when you end up having a ground shaking kind of revelation such as anything to do with Tartaria. Once you open up your mind to the idea that any of the theories uh, are true and you start trying to implement that timeline that everybody's talking about where it's not something that's readily taught, but it is out there. You can research it. Once you kind of had your head exploded that this is a possibility, <laughs> it's not even that you believe that it happened or any of the theories that it happened. It's when you see it and you go, holy shit, this could fucking really like everything I was taught <laughs> in world history was a lie. And that's when you go, oh, shit, I don't know what I believe. Um, yeah. I did start. I've, I've kind of gone from the timeline of when a lot of the theories are out there of when it kind of ended and civilization started back up again. I think it was what 1860s, 1850s is mm -hmm. when everybody's saying that that's around. I've been trying to collect a timeline from that point till present. Um, rather than going back farther, what caused it? What was before that? Um, what really interests me is the cover up. What happened after that that made them so afraid of the event that they have tried everything they could to suppress it? So when Mark, good to see you again, buddy, um, when he mentioned the suppression from China and how you can, and uh, I believe Michelle already uh, said, you know, there's photos all over the internet of the amount of mud. When you start to see all those photos and, and uh, you, you watch some of the documentaries, um, you kind of go, holy shit, why? At first, when you hear it, you don't really know what to think about it. So you kind of keep watching and, okay, it's a good movie. And by the end of it, you go, oh, shit. Um, okay, well, I need to rethink my whole life. I might need to cry <laughs> and go poop and sleep. And then I will get back to you on that. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. That, that, that documentary, as, as what is it, Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies told us, that they were the one that sent us the link to it. Um, there was a doc five hour documentary and then the same gentleman oh, yeah. did an eight hour documentary, the lost, the lost history of flat earth. Um, he, as he put it, I, about 45 minutes in, I had to pick up my soul off the ground. And, uh, that was kind of where I was at when I finished the five hour and it, it blew my mind. So I wouldn't necessarily say that there's anything I believe. I also wouldn't say there's anything I disbelieve. And that's okay. kind of that middle ground where I'm at with basically the world. The safe that's route. just where I'm at, man. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Thank you, Ben. Uh, yeah. Chud X from uh, Deborah Gets Red Pilled into the Apocalypse. How you doing, Chud? Good. How's everybody doing tonight? Good, man. So what is it about so Tartaria bad. that you have a hard thing, a uh, hard problem swallowing? Well, one that I've only ever heard really briefly touched on that is a big question that I had fairly early in my in my looking at Tartaria is particularly for North America how Native Americans can account for some of this stuff um, were they aware of these buildings that were possibly where the uh, the world's fairs were were they places that they inhabited or didn't were they places to stay away from I've heard that they knew of areas that they stayed away from but that's kind of all I've ever heard drilled in on that. And uh, that's, that's like my biggest question right now that I just haven't heard explored too much. Excellent. And last but not least, the homie Romy. What's up, homie? 
Hey, it's your HR representative, the homie Rami, coming at you. Tartaria breakdown, Tartaria takedown, motherfucker, you know it's going to be a shakedown. Vibing deep into the past and pulling rabbits out of hats, esoteric at last, but not the least. We're just doing what they taught us and hath no masters and no rulers. We are a tribe and run faster, so the fat cat Vatican elitists have to play catch up. Yo. <laughs> Tartaria is crazy. Um, it changed a lot of uh, things in my life, just similar to, um, <clears throat> you know, it's part of a spiritual awakening, in my opinion, right? Like, you get to open your mind to um, being being basically, like, lied to, right, through the indoctrination and all that shit. And it's like, how much of it is real and how much of it is agrigorical, right? How much of it are we creating and that's like a crazy thing when you drop a you know it's like the ripple effect right you drop the tiny seed into the water and it reaches the way to the shore and by that point what do we know anymore where is the exact focal point of that uh, it's interesting um but yeah i guess for me the muddy parts of it um and i've been uh because uh, we've been doing a whole tartaria month on the show dan and i and um and so like for me right now at this fucking point i think i'm pretty well like i i, I agree that there's been at least a, i agree with uh, uh velikovsky or not sorry uh, uh the other russian homie fomenko uh fomenko yeah the two russians also russia is the way russia is the truth in my opinion we got to start looking Whoa. more into what they've been suppressing that type of history because when it comes to the western point of view on what this is when somewhere that predominantly you know did maybe cover mainly russia and asia i think there's going to be a lot more information from people and researchers from that part of the world in my opinion but that's okay my opinion is exactly that anyways um but fomenko taking the thousand year chunk out you know he wasn't the only great brilliant person in academia to think that there was something wrong with the chronology right you also have isaac newton who wrote an entire book on his issue with the, the current chronology these are mathematicians. These are very, very smart academic people who have an issue with the chronology that's been given to the mainstream. So that it, it's like, oh, it's so I, I really want to hopefully get some uh, as many dates as we can as a group tonight collectively. And I got my little notepad, note pen here. <laughs> hopefully get some of that there. I'll just write them down physically and we'll come up with something later, you know. Um, but anyways, I think the, uh, uh, the, the murkiest waters for me would be something about the mud flood and what caused it because, you know, you got direct energy weapon, dendritic scarring, or like the electrolysis causing liquidification, you know, Ariasulin goes into them being Martians, right? After the split, the golden age period with it, looking at Saturnian cosmology, uh, and that, <laughs> so the Belikovsky said too, is that all the waters that came and caused one of the great floods was from Saturn. And so it's just, I mean, there's just an immense amount of like what the fuck caused the, the many cataclysms that did happen here. And I think um, something else I want to get out that there's, it's really hard for me to articulate sometimes, you know, thoughts in the head. So I've been really focusing today, doing lots of deep breathing. Hold on, here we go. Let me get another one. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, that Tartaria itself, I think, you know, it's more than just the Tartarian Empire, right? It's almost like a blanket statement and the mud flood too of just looking at suppressed history in general. And like this very apparent, in my opinion, uh, 
uh, society, culture, empire, you know, human situation, earthen situation of people that lived in a, in a, in a, in a different world of physics, a different world of understanding nature and the cosmology and the alchemical goodness that they, that we share with earth and the atmosphere. And like, there's been a separation of that. And, and that's what I think tar Tartarians were like, they, this, you know, like I said, blanket statement, it's not, I don't necessarily can't say anything for the exact specific Tartarian empire, but what my soul tells me and what I feel down deep down in my, my spiritual bones is that we understood the electromagnetic system of the earth and we lived cohesively with that. And then that's, that's it for me, man, is like just trying to figure out how to get back to nature and how to get back to that, that ether goodness, you know, cause that's, that's where, that's where I think we'll find a lot of answers too. When you ask ourselves intuitively and tap into some sort of collective consciousness or something. Romy, first of all, I love your face. Um, <laughs> secondly, um, when it does come to that, that is actually one of the questions that I guess I have had the most. And I, I, I referenced it where I said, why is it that they have tried so hard to cover it up? What do you guys, because part of me thinks when it comes to that ethereal goodness that you were talking about, where you feel like we were all in tune with it and we were, I guess you could say harnessing it. This isn't a fucking anime show, but harnessing <laughs> that, using it, living communally with it, right? Do you think that, do any of you think that there was a possibility of the mudslides being nature's way of fighting back from abuse? Oof. I mean, she, it's, it's a, it's a body, it's a celestial body. I would assume, I would think that it has some sort of emotional play here, you know? It was one of the first things that I thought of, obviously, when you're talking about that connection, you talk about the spires and the domes and the arches and all of these uh different electrical ideas of being able to harness that watch the water etc cetera, etc cetera. all of those things well, the first thing the first thing i thought of was w did we abuse it and that's why they've tried to cover it up because we went too far with it go ahead sorry well there there are pictures um etchings you know how they did some of these really really dynamic etchings is beyond me that's another story but um of them shooting fireworks off into the sky and electrical type discharges coming out of those clouds that they're creating so it may very well have been some kind of an induced catastrophe um i wouldn't put it past that but um yeah so there are pictures suggesting things like that for sure awesome thank you that's all i was asking if anybody else has any info on that too that I'd well, i would, love to I hear would what say, say that you know we're living in a changing universe any scientist who studies the earth will tell you that the that things change rapidly and constantly and some things change very slowly and i think cataclysm is indefinitely or definitely a part of the cycle of the earth and the way you put it maybe anthropomorphizes the earth i don't think there's anything wrong with that but there is this sense of balance where maybe you know in a situation like what we're in today with our modern world we're pushing Gaia to the brink of its, you know, quotient for what it can put up with. So maybe the response to bring things back into balance is a cataclysm, maybe something like a mud flood. I've seen, you know, people make what we would say are like celestial explanations, like, a, you know, a planet being close to the earth could cause such a, a, a relationship energetically where there's a disturbance 
um, asteroids, obvious, you know, people are aware that asteroids, meteors, things that fall from the sky can hit the planet. We have evidence for that with craters, Absolutely. Uh, but, but, you know, I think cataclysms are definitely, and I've had this thought a lot, you know, in my life, like what, what's going to happen to all this plastic, you know, that's one example. And, and my optimistic thought is maybe there'll be a fungus that, you know, evolves to eat up all that plastic. And I think there's even you know, science articles that say that they're trying to make that happen. But either way, you know, the fact is, is we live in a, in a world where change is inevitable and there is a balance, you know, that's why I have the yin yang here. And I think, you know, I've always been drawn to the yin yang. It's a, it's a very uh, potent symbol, but yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with speculating that, you know, Gaia could be basically asserting herself and, and causing a reset. But I think what we find when we look into the Tartarian, um, yeah, crop circles as well. When we look into the Tartarian theory in general, it seems to be pointing the finger at certain groups of people who are behind this reset. You know, we see now sure. in the modern age, right, with the whole pandemic, this is uh, maybe a case for a great reset happening before our eyes, uh, you know, resetting us from what we knew is the world to maybe possibly this more integrated metaverse world. If I could, if I could go for a second, I got a whole template of uh, different aspects of Tartaria that I wanted to try to cover on the show. Let's go. So uh, I would like to get into the first one, which is uh, Atlantis and what's the connection there. Um, a lot of people talk about Atlantis, you know, being uh, this fable city or fable civilization and does Tartaria have any connection to Atlantis or from Atlantis or maybe the survivors of such? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of pass it around and let it go because there's there's so many people on the show tonight. I don't want I want everybody to have a chance to answer. So we're going to kind of like what we did in the beginning, uh, give like two or three minutes uh, of your thoughts on that. If you don't have any, you can just say pass and we'll go to the next person. And then, uh, so we'll start it off with legit bad again. And uh, Atlantis, what's the connection? Is there one? Well, it's funny. We were actually talking about that right before the show, kind of brushing up on everything. And I don't know. I, it's hard to figure out how that fits in. I don't know if it was like a faction of Tartaria or if it was another word for Tartaria, or maybe it was a continent in Tartaria. Maybe it was even before that. I don't it's hard to figure out. I mean, if you're going off of uh, Plato's description of Atlantis, I mean, it kind of sounds like what we would think Tartaria is, at least to me. But it's hard to tell if that's just a different word for it or if it's part of it. You know, I I don't know what the connection there would be. But either way, that's gone as much as Tartaria is. You got anything, babe? Ben? Unmute. I actually just was listening to a podcast last night while I fell asleep about that exact thing was Atlantis. Um, it was a gentleman that was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and uh, he had some pretty good evidence to believe mm. that it was actually based in the Middle East, um, farther, or not farther, but southern to uh, those northern countries like Russia. Uh, Atlantis was? Yes. I and it was, it was part of it. Yeah. Sorry, so so he was, sure. no, 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 you're, that's exactly right. He, he showed pictures and... Uh, it was very, very an interesting take because he was talking about how Atlantis is supposed to 
supposedly have 10 kingdoms within it. Yep. And uh, he believes that there are these particular spots in, which also correlates to the uh, technology that Egypt showed um, where he thinks that that is actually where Atlantis stemmed from. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Excellent. Jin, what about you? I don't know enough about Atlantis or Tartaria. I'm just interested okay. to listen to everyone. Okay. I just, I, I do believe that there is definitely a lost history that's being hidden from us. I don't know if we have, I don't know if anyone knows exactly, you know, where it all came from, but it's not far-fetched to me to believe that there was Atlantis and Tartaria together and that it was hidden from us and that we started this brand new civilization with that just being a fable or, you know, a fairy tale to us something that you know we're not supposed to believe or know about that we're supposed to believe is fake just so we can move forward and forget all of that history and uh uh joe uh mark would like you to enable screen share screen share on oh i didn't know it wasn't and then um we'll go to matt yeah, I haven't I haven't dug too deep into Atlantis, but you know, obviously doing this stuff, you come across it all the time. And 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 I kind of bounce back and forth as to where I stand on it. There's times when I kind of see Atlantis being a synonym for Tartaria, and they're almost, you know, in conjunction with each other. And there's other times where I feel like Atlantis may be the predecessor to Tartaria. Um mm -hmm. I, yeah, yes. I just, I, again, it goes back to that whole timeline. Where does this all fall in line? And, and I haven't really been able to nail down Atlantis. And, and I, to be honest, it's not something I've dug too deep into. So I will pass okay. the buck. All right. Adam, you got anything? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as Jan over there. I'm, I've not looked deep enough into it to speak intelligently enough on it. But um, I was a couple months ago up at Chud X's house and I was talking to some guy about Tartaria and I thought I was being pretty clear with what I was talking about. Then Chud X sees him later in the week and he's like, wow, that Adam guy sure knows a lot about Atlantis. And he's like, well, I thought, I thought you guys were talking about Tartaria. And he goes, what's, what's Tartaria? <laughs> so okay, that's, that's my story. Chud, you want to jump in on that too? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was that was a, a funny miscommunication because you guys talked for a while, and uh, yeah, and yeah, you guys were totally talking about different subjects. But I've never really thought about Atlantis with Tartaria too much. But like as Adam points that conversation out, you know they are kind of interchangeable, and in at least the way people talk about it. like Atlantis is like a small, circular, tiny version of what other people talk about Tartaria being the whole world. Um, Cause yeah, I've looked at Atlantis a lot, but not with Tartaria in mind and haven't really looked back at it since I've been on the Tartaria wagon. Um, I'm curious, Ben, you said you just heard someone on uh, uh, Rogan talking about it. Was that Jimmy, Jimmy Bright Insight, something like that? Yeah, Jimmy Corsetti. Yeah, I watched some I of his videos so. a few years ago. He was really drilling down on Atlantis being in like northern Africa at a place that's called like the Rishat. Rishat, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that Rishat. structure. Yes, Mortana. that was it. Mortana. Yeah, and, and that, is, that is interesting. I feel like it's a whole different subject than Tartaria, but it's really interesting to bring those up 
together and you know think about that maybe that is a way uh, that you know knowledge keepers like let a little bit of truth come through they put this uh this vague legend out there that was told mm -hmm. that gives us a little bit of insight to a to a past culture but they make it seem like it was before the time of antiquity um, when he he believes that the tartarian mudslide is actually what has caused us to never find atlantis did he talk about mm. tartaria yeah on, wait, on rogan uh, on joe yes oh Whoa. god okay he, i have to listen to that I he, suppose. He, i'll have to find it for you guys because yeah that that's his thing is that he he talked more that. than once about the idea that the tartarian mudslide is actually why we've never found atlantis oh shit okay Whoa. i know uh i know andy and i and possibly roman have some definite knowledge to add to this but so let's go to randy yeah so i'm kind of with chud on the the whole this is the piece of truth that we're given you know in lieu of actually having any kind of understanding about what tartaria is so it's spun you know through greek mythology as atlantis right when i'm kind of in a situation right now where I'm not too sure about greek mythology anymore it seems to be kind of a, a substitution that we were given for a lot of the myths of old or a lot of the tales of old. So that's okay. where I'm at with that. Yeah. Uh, Michelle. Well, thank you. Um, Chad, I just wanted to mention, um, cause I was thinking about the reshot structure to the eye of the Sahara. Um, and I would invite you all to look at Google earth and just uh, type in eye of the Sahara and you'll find it. And where the Sahara is and where that part of Mauritania is where the eye of Sahara is just looks like a, you know, this downward mud flow. Mm. And the eye looks like what Atlantis is described as. So that has been put forth as a candidate. Um, I personally believe that there was an ancient civilization that was advanced and that that's what the civilization is that included Atlantis and that that was actually came up to more modern times than what we're taught, which is part of the timeline confusion. Um, there well could have been a continent that sank because um, it was supposed to sink in the Atlantic Ocean and Lemuria was supposed to sink in the Pacific Ocean, but at different times. Um, but I think there was, when they, when they went back and they created a new history, and this is what my research is based on, um, if you look at the buildings, and I'm going to use North America as an example because there wasn't supposed to be anything here. So all the architecture was said to have been built in our historical narrative, you know, from the 1700s on, we're talking about big capital buildings, we're talking about Greco-Roman looking, you know, court buildings, like if you look at this Supreme Court, and I'm just throwing out some examples off the top of my head, we're taught that that was all built in the 19th, 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. And we can't even build like that today. And so I believe that was all pre-existing. That all goes along with the World Fair thing. And I believe that this, this civilization was very advanced. Because if you, if you think about it, when you, when you see pictures of the ruins of Atlantis, you'll invariably see what we would call a Greek temple or a Roman temple at the bottom of the ocean. You know, I've, I've it's, it's, it's typical, you see that. Well, we've got the same types of buildings on the surface of the earth, not only in North America, but all over the earth. 
And um, so that that's the example that comes to mind is they're telling us they built these humongous buildings. And I believe this original civilization had humans that were much bigger. And that's where you get into the giant question. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I land on the side of I think that this was a very advanced civilization um, that existed up until relatively recently. And then yeah, that's the reshot structure. Thank you. Um, Somebody in the and, chat asked me to share this picture or share a picture of the eye of the Sahara. So I thought I'd bring it up for you while you're talking. Yeah, perfect. And and so if you see pictures of Atlantis, it was said to have had concentric rings, an actual yeah. city of Atlantis. Um, and so that it, if you look at it again, it, it looks like it has rings around it and that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe it's like a bull's bullseye. Maybe there was a direct hit there and that was what caused the mud flood. Or, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of landing along the, the idea of a series of events, but it could have been a one time thing. Um, but in, you know, answer to what you were saying earlier, Ben, I, I think that the earth has been abused in the last 200 years. And I'm, I'm more inclined to believe this civilization, since it was so advanced technologically, was at a much higher level of consciousness. And that right. what's, what's playing to, out today is our, our beings that want to control our consciousness and keep our consciousness at a low level. That, that's actually right mm-hmm. along the theory that I was talking about. Yes, yeah, I feel like everybody was working in <laughs> harmony as they were discovering how to harness it and they weren't abusing it. And then once it kind of became generationally commonplace, you have those assholes that they start pushing boundaries. They start fucking with shit they shouldn't be fucking with. And the next thing you know is, as Mark said, you know, Gaia shuts it down. Nope, we're not doing this. And then the survivors went, well, we fucked up. How do we stop this from happening? Well, let's change history. Let's not mention anything about it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I did just put that clip. <clears throat> it's about 15 minutes. I put it in the uh, chat for everybody. Um, it was only posted two days ago, so that's why mm-hmm. I assume not a lot of people have found it yet. Um, but it's only 15 minutes, so give it a listen when you get a chance. And uh, Mark, let's go to you, Mark. Nice. Yes. So Atlantis always been a very big uh, point of curiosity for me ever since I was a little kid. I think the best evidence. For Atlantis is in the work that Randall Carlson and and Graham Hancock are doing. I don't think that I agree with them necessarily that aliens had much to do with the whole. I don't think they think that either, though. Right. Well, I think that's at least how it's sold. But either way, ancient aliens aside, (laughs) we're talking about structures that defy explanation uh, architecturally here to this day, you know, and we see, as Michelle pointed out, a lot of examples of architecture here in North America that looks very similar to, you know, things that we would consider classical structures. And who's to say that those cultures that we're remembering as Greek and Roman weren't descendants of this pre-flood culture as well. And Mm -hmm even further so i think what we might have is a culture that habitually takes other cultures and like a parasite kind of uh eats it from the inside out you know where's the 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 dress of that culture 
you know, assimilates, so to speak. Oh, I, I like th- that. But, you know, that aside, I wanted to share this screen share here because, well, you know what? Actually, we're talking about Atlantis. So I'll save this for later. But, um, but yeah, and then, you know, we have a bunch of interesting stuff uh, more recently with Edgar Casey. You know, he yep. was primarily just reading people for their health conditions and trying to figure out that and surprisingly a very christian person who really only participated in using his psychic abilities because he saw it was helping so many people i think that adds credibility to the revelations he had about atlantis he's not the only psychic who have received that kind of channeling you know we see that kind of emerges a theme throughout theosophy and Theosophy in itself is very strange. You know, there's a lot of strange characters in that whole realm. But I think what we have is a pre-flood culture that survived through its naval abilities and then existed on the periphery of what we would call written history because this assimilated culture that's kind of parasitically uh, or maybe tyrannically uh covertly behind the scenes of power doesn't want the average person to be aware of that pre-flood significance that we human beings have which again is why i have a lot of suspicion about the whole alien causality when it comes to these amazing structures because we have examples of these really amazing works of architecture in the modern age, whether or not they, uh, you know, existed for many years and were uncovered. I'm a little more skeptical about that, but I think what we can maybe see is that at least there are secret societies or groups of people who have knowledge of how to use, let's say what we would consider otherworldly techniques to create architecture or at least advanced techniques. Yeah. I think that's very plausible. So Atlantis, I think, you know, it's the fountainhead of, of what we would call uh, culture, really. I think all, all the culture comes from, from that in a way. And, and others, maybe Lemuria is an example of, of some influence in other parts of the world. But as far as Europe and, and Africa and even South and North America, I think Atlantis is, is the um, pre-flood contender. All right. Roman, what you got, Rashad Rollins? oh yeah um yes yes uh bringing up edgar casey right uh as mark just did is one of the biggest uh predecessors to to my uh understanding of how there's a connection and it was basically there was like three different cataclysms that he said broke up atlantis over time and they each had different names and one of the three last islands and places of tartaria was Arian, Aria. Arian, the island yeah. of Aria. So, um, and then over many, many controversial, uh, uh, you know, uh, debates on this stuff over the month and everything, you know, there's an Arian tie to the word Tartarian and Tartar being the, you know, like the, the Tartarus, which is like the Greek word for hell being cast a Tartarus. Hell. So like, there's a bad, bad uh, connotation behind the word Tartar, but then you put the word Arian in it. The Aryan people were the Tartars. They were the bad people. So Tartarian to just kind of phonetically put those together. And then, you know, uh, 
part of the understanding of the Tartarian culture, which would have been we're going into Hitler because it just it just happened. So, but I'm not trying to, but it's going to happen anyways. Fuck it. Um, and part of the reason why they think he was looking for the Aryan nation to get their um, their Tartarian technology and that that understanding of like the the Russian way of being things. And I, I I'm not I can't I don't want to go too deep into that. Well, but without um, going further. You know, you can at least acknowledge like during World War II, what did they destroy? Right. They destroyed a lot of Paris, which if you look at some of those old photos of France, I mean, that's all what we were calling Tartarian architecture right down to, you know, the spires that look like they could be conductors of electricity. So it was very absolutely, obvious that absolutely. at least he was destroying, you know, that kind of stuff, if, if at least not, you know, keeping it for himself. There there's a and you know the uh fuck i was having this conversation earlier today too uh not to bring in ancient alien stuff situation but when you if you do tie in the sumerian tablets and and consider that there were a species of humans that could be pre-flood humans it could have been humanoids right and then there was a genetic alteration to create a well they were they were giants i mean you know we call them aliens because they don't look like us but i mean by all respect they were giants you can go to yale's art museum and see one of the you know depictions of these mm -hmm. anunnaki and it's huge it's like 15 feet and i don't think they did that by accident you know they have plenty of statues to normal proportions so you know i think this was intended to be to normal proportions well and there are several actually there's a in, our, in my opinion vast majority of ancient religions that have different names for those giants and many of them agree on six fingers and six toes um things of that nature yeah roman did you have any uh any more to go on there um mainly just that the kc breakdown of like there being an Aryan nation and his you know he's i mean as credible as any psychic can be for you know as we'll take it to to what we have what we find value in and if someone we believe who has done hundreds of psychic studies and healed people through psychic abilities and he had these visions and, and understandings of that, then going off of Edgar Casey's work, that's the tie to Atlantis that I have an understanding of. Okay. And obviously Atlantis is a fucking huge topic. Yeah. That probably deserves uh, a whole other round table on it. Pro probably. Uh, I'm going to kick it to Andy. Cause I think Andy can help answer a lot of these questions. Andy. Oh, can I, I feel like we're going to go way <laughs> off track from Tartaria. If we start talking about like Atlantis and stuff like that. And from my perspective, it's, <laughs> It's kind of uh, throwing me for a loop more than it ever has before because of Box Saga. So I don't know how deep we want to get into that. But the idea of connecting what Box Saga says about the idea of Atlantis to time periods following that, you know, it's, it stands for Alt-Lantis in their theory, which is all land ice which is basically saying that it took, it was a time period that was taking place in the Northern hemisphere during the ice age. So perhaps there oh. is a connection at some point, but it's kind of, I mean, that's my inter That's the only time I've really ever been deeply invested in Atlantis has been this interpretation because it was like, not what everything else is saying. So yeah. I don't know. It turns my interesting. head. I could go deeper. So uh, in the box saga, Ooh. they talk about Atlantis being in the north. 
they also talk about uh 13 original uh ethnicities and they break down each one of those and they say that there's 10 tropical kingdoms and then there's three caucasian kingdoms and the three uh caucasian ones are are dan's vin and rosette which is russia uh the veneer and and the danes um so then you can get biblical too with uh, the tribe of Dan and other uh, biblical uh, tribes, right? Uh, Issachar and all the other ones. And so, and you end up with this area in the north that was surrounded by ice. And you have uh, also these 10 tropical kingdoms that were not surrounded by the ice. So when it talks about these 10 kings who came out from Atlantis to repopulate the world, it sounds very familiar to the saga also. And so these 10 kings being uh, more of a tropical people, dark skin, not Caucasian people. And they come, if you want to go with the flood story too, of how Noah survived the flood, this could also be in relation to the fact that Noah was from Atlantis and survived Atlantis and brought his followers over. And when they landed on Mount Ararat, which is in the Middle East, they repopulated civilization from there. If you go Bach Saga, it says that Dan and Zvan and Rosette, after the ice melted in 10,500 BC, they those three came out of the ice and went down to uh, have relations with the tropical people, tell them things, uh, you know, give them sciences and uh, astrology and stuff that they have found out from being trapped in the north for so long. So there is also- definitely we got to can't forget the connection. I've totally just forgot about this, that the classic setup for Atlantean city was like the, the round, yeah. you know, ring circles, cities, right? The rings. So of course you could say that box saga perhaps like lifted that from Atlantis, but what's hard is that when you get into box saga and the root language and why words mean certain things, why sounds mean certain things, why the rings were there and why they lived that way it all has to do with one another like all the t- all the different parts of their life were interconnected to this language so i don't know i don't know it seems but that's more there that regions and cultures language as opposed to the entire world's understanding of language right at that point because it was maybe more separated perhaps Starting like dialects well, just the fact that root language is kind of an anatomical language, and it's about sure. how we, we name sounds after body parts and things and, and cycles and things like that. That's what they do in the box saga. So it's a very deep connection to why those ring cities existed, the ring system existed. So it's like even like Lord of the Rings, you know, Tolkien was obsessed with Finnish folklore for rings. good reason. To rule them all, three yeah, rings to rule them all. There, that's something too. That if you tie in the kind of box saga understanding of all land is ice, and Atlantis is more of a time period than it was a yes. physical piece of land, then that's all rather interesting. Because if you look at Casey's or, or you know Plato's you know breakdown of Atlantis, and if you think about it as a time period and not a piece of land, then the 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 three breakups could be three cataclysms that mm-hmm. happened or earth growing. Cause I'm into uh, uh, expanding earth theory. I love the fact that thinking that the earth could be like a, like a fruit in a cosmic uh, tree. That's just growing, you know, toroidal energy going in, creating more land inside more water, you know, we're growing just like a body, just like a, a celestial understanding of things. So 
But then you have, okay, if that's, if that's the case and Atlantis is all land is ice because of this, 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 this cold ice period, sorry, it's not the right term. Uh, then, then it would be like, then the cataclysms would maybe kill off races. And they're talking about these islands being races and would leave the three races, which we have, I mean, like, it's, it's interesting. It's, that's really interesting perspective to put on Atlantis and definitely, as you're saying, Andy kind of tops it on his head, bro. I mean, like, dang. Especially that, you know. with all the lore about tall Nordic looking yeah, blue eyed gods, Quetzalcoatl. You know, they, a lot of these gods have the same similar features, and mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, I'm not trying to throw away my childhood love of aliens, but it does seem very human in a lot of ways. Humans that perhaps were thriving in a warmer part of the world because of certain atmospheric situations and geological situations in that northern region uh, could have they could have thrived more easily in subterranean caves as well and we know what happens in all the movies and everything where and you go uh you know in the dark for too long <laughs> the your eyes turn blue and all the animals up there have you know white fur and everything so the rest of the planet especially the southern hemisphere could have been you know experiencing a little a lot less of that at least but the northern hemisphere was like decimated by that except for that region in the north perhaps so it could explain that that advanced civilization descending into the lower regions after the flood. I'm going to uh, throw it out to anybody. If anybody has Michelle, anything else Michelle to say about yes, uh, Atlantis, just about to say that. go ahead and go to it. And then we can get on to the next topic. Let me just um, add in, jump in here since yes. it's fresh. Um, there's two things. Um, one is the, the R, A-R. They were talking about Tartaria and uh -huh. the Aryan in there. Um, and then you mentioned Ararat. Yeah. And what you find is that AR is all over the all over the earth. Um, Arizona, mm. where I live. Earth even has yeah. AR. It's the opposite of <laughs> Earth has here. AR. Um, but I think um this this culture was was Aryan. Um it it was the people of Ar Armenia. You know, there's uh -huh. been talk about Armenia yeah. being like the center of the earth. If that's you a really good, that's a really good maps. piece right there. Um, but the other point I wanted Oof, to make with what right you were saying, Andy, is the um, Hyperborea. Yes. And that was a real place, but yes. it's come down to us as like yeah. a legendary place. Mm -hmm. And right. um, if you look at old maps as, of Hyperborea, it's it's like the, the legend is that it was like this really peaceful, wonderful, you know, Camelot kind of place that was warm and the people were big and lived long lives and that kind of thing. And the Nazis were super, super interested in Greenland and, and Thule and um, had an obsession with it, the Thule <laughs> society. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So there's something about that. And there's also something about the Channel Islands because the Nazis spent almost the entirety of the war in the Channel Islands and in Denmark and in Norway. Um, they were the there lands. like five years and they were in there doing God knows what they said they were building the Atlantic wall and the channel islands, but I, I think they were highly interested. Wow. <laughs> Very interesting. They, in, they that, were, in that in part the, of the world. In the North and the South pole, this seems like they, the, the Nazis were really interested in going to both of the poles. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> real real quick really before great. we move on from Atlantis, uh, 
is everybody familiar with the theory that the flat realm idea of we're currently in a particular spot in the zodiac and it actually oscillates the ice wall around what is a larger plane every 2400 years oh, no Are you familiar with that okay no so that regardless is flat of earth as fuck it, no it it is flat earth as fuck and it is interesting to me and it's again it's one of those ideas where i don't have any bearing i don't have a i don't have a dog in that fight as whether i see it feasible or not um but it did bring up the idea has any along with uh andy's breakdown of the word atlantis has anybody thought that maybe atlantis tartaria is actually in antarctica and why we are no longer allowed to go there and why there are 44 nations since 19 what 49 that are patrolling and making sure that you can't go there unless it's on the tour to the specific spot i think i heard somebody say that antarctica's name on ancient maps was like la fuego or something similar to that something of the fire and if you think of uh, uh hell in the south pole and uh satan right going to hell and uh, sumerian it talks a lot about inki going to the absu which uh, they mention is close to the southern tip of africa possibly people will say that there was a stargate that he was able to enter or whatnot or some way for him to get to this absu place but possibly that could have been antarctica and there was a descender from the atlantis people in uh the north uh who was called Ra, who's associated kind of with the satan figure and uh i believe that he's the one that is and was the ruler of atlantis and his son ruled atlantis after the fact and they kind of after the tragedy happened they kind of started warring with each other and uh and and breaking apart and he was still fighting with uh the main kingdom uh because he was uh hybridizing species uh through sex uh like it talks about in genesis 6. um so there is that whole aspect to it also and possibly there could have been a, a main civilization in antarctica well, where, know, they, where they stayed and then later it got frozen over uh from one of the catastrophes or awesome. connecting Connecting this all to Tartaria, if we're going on the assumption that, you know, the Tartars were like a diaspora from a pre-flood civilization, you know, Marco Polo's legend of Kublai Khan, it rings very similar to like a, a ancient palace and they describe it with, you know, huge canals and big ditches yeah. and it's yeah. a wonderful, you know, palace that, you know, if you look it up, you know, Chinese culture, they'll say, oh, it's just a legend. Uh, I think there's some stories saying archaeologists may have unearthed it, you know, adding to the mud flood premise. So I think there's definitely, you know, a cultural link, if anything, uh, mm. to a lot of civilizations, not just Tartary, but uh, a lot of civilizations and this kind of pre-flood culture, you know, and, and everything that that entailed. I think it was uh, much more than just architecture, there was, you know, a lot more to it that didn't get preserved, obviously, because those things degrade, you know, stone and such is, you know, some of the last remnants of those ancient times, it, even, you know, to bring the Native Americans back up again, you know, there's a big connection between Russia and North America, 
but also on the east coast where i'm at there's a lot of connection uh eastward between you know the gaelic cultures maybe even the phoenicians and and here in america and you see certain stone structures they're called dolmens in ireland but over here they're called standing stones and it's you know it's exactly the same type of stone structure so you know there's evidence for this universal uh nature to these sort of things and uh Those... you know that could that could point to the pre-flood time which atlantis is is noted mm -hmm. for because you know everybody was more connected conceivably then when there was less water uh covering the planet and those dolmens, uh, we did an article on uh, RFTA about those, and there's uh, thousands of them in, mm -hmm. uh, in and around and near the Black Sea in uh, that region, which would be considered Tartaria. Well, and there, there are so many other parallels. I know we're we're just jumping on Atlantis right now, but there yeah. are so many other parallels between some Native American cultural aspects and Mongol, what we would call Mongolian culture. Okay. Perfect. Anybody uh, have any final thoughts uh, Marco, on Atlantis? Uh, just real quick, because I it's crazy you brought up Marco Polo. I was watching one of my favorite YouTube dudes called the Observation Deck. I don't know if you guys watch his stuff. Uh, super deep researcher's been around for a while. Uh, but anyways, he did this like hour long, you know, uh, documentary thing, and then he was actually calling Marco Polo out that he never went to China. And like that, he kind of like fabricated a bunch of these stories about going to China and then brought back spaghetti and ice cream from China or whatever. And it was like this whole thing about an Italian. Uh, well, Voyager. I think that that's indicative that of, of these kind of cases where there's a cover up and there's information that they don't want people to take yeah. seriously. They go and discredit yeah. someone And Marco Polo, you know, on that note, when he returned to venice something happened politically where he ended up you know living the rest of his life in jail and that's actually how his uh, adventures got written into a book one of his cellmates uh, was released and and had been writing it all down allegedly the story goes but i think it's important to bring that up because if we're going to talk about tartaria you know going back to my original issue with the whole subject, I guess, uh, you know, where does that word first arrive in the zeitgeist? It arrives there in that part of the world at that particular time. So I think if we're going to continue using that term. We got to, you know, kind of extrapolate from there either forward or, or backwards in time uh, and really justify that. Otherwise, this just becomes like another catch-all term for alternative theories, which it's fine, but I think it doesn't do us any justice as people who are earnestly seeking the truth. You know, if anything, it helps cover up this free energy science that I think empire, whoever it may be, always wants to cover up. They don't want people having access to free energy because you can't tax free energy. You know, you can't can't yeah. put a, a, a fee on it. I think that's a that's a solid way to wrap up. Uh, the Atlantis discussion. Uh, there's definitely more that needs to be flushed out there. Apparently, we could probably do the whole rest of the show just on that topic alone. <laughs> but uh, we, I mean, we want to get into some of the other aspects of Tartaria here. So uh, maybe we'll have to do this again another time. But so I guess my next question would be, when did the mud flood happen? Uh, I hear lots of different theories. Some people think maybe uh, the Great Flood happened in 2400 BC. Uh, some people believe the Younger Dryas 
flood of 10,000 BC uh, or that area. Uh, some people think that it didn't happen till maybe the 16, 1700s, maybe early 1800s in there before the, the World's Fairs and everything, and they were able to come over here. So I want to hear uh, people's idea of when they think that the actual flood happened and, and how do they think that happened? What caused it? If it wasn't a flood, was it uh, some type of solar event, some type of uh, DEW weapon? You can get as crazy or as weird as you want. I don't really care as long as there's some evidence to support what you want to say. Uh, sounds good to me, huh? Uh, anybody want to start? Matt, let's go with you. Uh, I, honestly, I think there's been multiple uh, catastrophic events over time obviously. So there's been multiple resets. Um, there's the biblical great flood. Um, but I think most recently, one of the things that I'm trying to look into a little bit more is the early 1800s, uh, specifically related to the uh, uh, Madrid earthquake in Missouri. And that was a massive earthquake and what caused that you know there's there's rumors of uh, uh, it being tied to a comet you know meteor strike um but it seems that that has you know had some drastic impact on the environment afterwards whether it was a liquefaction event whether it was you know caused some sort of cataclysm it just seems like that ties in right around uh, that time frame of the War of 1812, right? You had the kind of World War Zero going on at that time. And that seems like everything from there till the mid-1850s is, is the 1850s, it appears, is where they start to dig out again some of that stuff. And I think that's what some of the World's Fairs were, where they were, they were digging out some of the old uh, uh, buildings that were buried in the last mud flood. So, yeah, I, I haven't really, and I don't nail it down to one event. I kind of look at it as multiple different events and, and that there have been multiple resets over time. Okay. Michelle, I know you can help us out a lot with this. So um, set us Matt, straight. I think you're, <laughs> you're, you're there with the dates. Um, I go back. I think it was anywhere between two and 400 but I land closer to 1800 and I've, um, I've, I've, I've come up with a, a theory about um, a time loop between 1492 and 1942 with 1717 as the midpoint year. And when I started researching 1717 onward up to the present day, there was a lot of really weird stuff. You know, just, I were I raising kinds of things going on. And um, so I, I'm kind of like somewhere in the 1700s, but I don't think they, it really got ramped up until the 1800s. So I think there was a, a series, at, le at least one, but perhaps a series, I'm open to it, of some kind of events. Um, I really do believe that those folks behind the New World Order were responsible and um, no, those generational families. The Jesuit world order. The, yeah. the Jesuits, the, the Masons. I think the Masonic lunges were completely infiltrated. And that's how all the architecture got, you know, reattributed to new builders 
everything with the date and a name and, and a construction company, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, right down to the nitty gritty, everything's got an explanation for it, but it doesn't fit. Um, so I'm, I land on, you know, sometime 1700s and um, at, at least with the mud flood that we're looking at. Okay. Um, I do tend to look at a longer view because this, this civilization was so advanced and so integrated. Um, they've destroyed much of the infrastructure. Um, but I think that was the part of the original free energy grid system. But um, 1700s, early 1800s, there, there was shovels, Ames shovel shop, digging stuff out. All right. Uh, Adam, what, what, what's your take? Yeah, I'm with, uh, I'm with Matt, multiple, multiple uh, resets. Um, I don't know. I don't know what could have caused it. Um, I've been looking, uh, I live in Oregon, way up in the woods. And uh, I've been looking into the Lewis and Clark exposition of 1915. It was the, it was the expo that they had in Northwest Portland. And um, it was a hundred years after Lewis and Clark supposedly made it to the ocean in Oregon. And um, they built this big, that, you know, it was big as a, as a normal world's fair. It wasn't quite as big as the Columbia exposition, but it was, it was pretty significant. And there's this big lake there. It was built around a lake called Guilds Lake. There's nothing down there. I went to elementary school down there. It was a bad neighborhood in the eighties. It's all gentrified now. Um, it's, uh, it's all just warehouses and, uh, smart city condos now, but, um, it, they had the world's largest, uh, log cabin there. Yeah. These gigantic trees as, as, uh, the pillars and stuff like that. It's the columns and, um, the lake is no longer there. And it was because they said there was a, it was filled in by a silt flood which hmm. to me sounds like another name for a mud flood. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess um, later on in the show, if we get into like any of this stuff, like Western expansion, I'd like to hear Michelle's take on Lewis and Clark. Um, but as of right now, I want to know if anybody has any ideas about direct energy weapons or like some sort of crazy we'll, we'll warfare get to or that. anything like that. So we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, Randy. Randy. Well, as far as direct energy weapons, there's evidence to suggest that part of uh, the means to that end is something having to do with fasces, mm. which are, um, you know, it's a it's an icon that the ruling class uses to kind of assert their power. It's a bundle of what look like just uh, sticks right with with an axe in yep. the middle and mm -hmm. so you know done some putzing around online and looked into this a little further this seems to be their way of extending to us that they ha have the means to to rule based on this fascist uh hence the fascist government which is really yeah. the government we're all living under is a fascist government i don't you know, I don't know why people are going so far as to call it Republican or Democrat or any of these other things, <laughs> because it's just not, um, you know, I don't know that the Nazis ever lost. I think Germany spoke. did. You know, I think it's all one and the same. I think all these guys are bedfellows, whether they're Chinese or any of these others. So 
just based on what they've shown us that they have as far as lasers and all these atomic bombs. If you're, you know, somebody believes in atomic weapons, <laughs> you know, some people don't, but um, I, I do lean more towards this most recent event being something that was caused um, just based on the fact that they had all these inheritors ready to go, right? All these babies and incubators ready to go, just ready to repopulate whatever it is that had happened. You don't develop that sort of prep, you know, prepared uh, preparation unless you've got a plan behind it, you know, unless you've got so much invested into the game. And so, yeah, most recently, I don't think it was anything natural, but maybe there was, you know, a flood in the past, the biblical flood. Uh, All right. Uh, Mark, let's hear from you. So on the point of when it happened, I think the, the year 1816 is a strange year you know, historically remembered as the year without a summer. Uh, it's also funny to note that the science of meteorology started around that time. People weren't uh, doing that for whatever reason beforehand. There's record of, you know, observations of different weather, usually cataclysmic weather, but for the most part, meteorology didn't really kick off until after this period. Uh, funny, you know, meteorology. Again, I think there was some sort of uh, not a, a touchdown type meteor event, but similar to, you know, the Tunguska event, possibly, where something exploded in the atmosphere. And we also have the possibility of the, you know, the, um, what are they called? The, the Gulf streams in the ocean, which you know, have a large, large effect on climate all over the world. It, it possibly used to circle around the North Pole and then go back around under Africa, through the Indian Ocean, around Australia, and then up around the Pacific Ocean. Now it kind of does this broken double loop in between North America and Northern Europe. So I think what we see is definitely a time period where something happened energetically you know atmospherically i think some people have have made the claim again i think i brought this up earlier that it was possibly or possibly a planet that got very close to the earth and that energy had a strange effect on the planet that we've never seen before or maybe have seen very very long ago you know mars comes to mind so that's where my mind's at with all that. I think mm -hmm. the, the beginning of the 18th century. And then also, you know, all of this stuff kind of connects to uh, slavery somehow. I know the orphan trade is, or, you know, trade and train uh, is a topic that we might get into later yes. on. But I think that's also notably uh, an interesting time period. You know, after that, slavery seems to have you know been yeah. dissolved for the most part in like the late 1800s and then you see this like influx of child labor and then eventually you know the wage system that we're all living in now which like randy put it is is pretty uh globally fascist it seems like a result of the french revolution mm. if anybody wants to correct me no, I don't even know that there was a Napoleon, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded more more like a story to me every day. Okay. Well, I eat him with bananas, and he always sticks his hand in his shirt, so he's with a hidden hand. So 
Yeah, yeah, that's fact. Maybe he was created by the Jesuits. Who knows? And he was a short guy. You got to watch out for those fucking short guys. You know, you it was actually not a short guy. That was all <laughs> shit to just uh, make him sound bad. It's it's funny that came up because I was just <laughs> listening to Walter Bosley go into uh, you know the Napoleon thing, and he wrote a whole book about it. He didn't say anything there that was mentioned, but he did say that Napoleon possibly swapped identities with his brother. His brother kind of got left on his island, you know, to be left, you know, like I think the British planned on exiling him there. Somebody exiled him. And then he lived the rest of his life in uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey, which is Philadelphia. That would make a great All we know about Philadelphia. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, Philadelphia. Chud, what do you got to say? So I've probably spent a lot more time in my life expanding the timeline than i have shrinking it uh looking at like the graham hancock type of 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 way of looking at things that that things go things just keep getting older that's kind of his his Mm -hmm. his catchphrase and with that like i was brought around a long time ago on thinking about different cataclysms that that could have happened like the younger dryas and things like that but i think what one of the things that makes tartaria unique when you talk about it you it the mud floods having happened two to three hundred years ago is 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 part of what that is mm-hmm. um because i was fully convinced before ever hearing the word tartaria oh there was an advanced civilization that existed sometime mm-hmm. in the past that was wiped out and i've explored that from a lot of different angles but when Tartaria was brought into my vocabulary and and on my radar and something I was thinking about, you know, one of the hardest things to swallow at that time was that this mud flood had happened so recently. And, um, you know, a series of events brought me around much closer to being able to believe it. A lot of it having to do with uh, world's fairs and uh, uh, Howdy Mikowski really really brought me into the idea that the history could be fake and I don't really have a deep belief of a specific time that mud floods would have happened but I think they had to have happened somewhat recently in order for the concept of Tartaria to work in my in my mind I Uh, totally agree with you because of the the pictures we see of them you know removing the mud from all these buildings it had to have been relatively recent for those buildings to have been covered with mud. But. Right. So, so when I, I can't even really, I mean, I couldn't give a specific year. Several of you have, yeah. um, but uh, more, more recently than, than the, than the history books are telling us. <laughs> That's for, right. sure. for uh, sure. Does anybody have anything different than the 1800s or early 1700s Roman? Uh, oh, I don't, well, I mean, I didn't, uh, I thought you were going to say different, uh, but no, not an exact timeline, uh, just, just mud flood theories, but not, not an exact, like, Um, I think the general overarching time of the mud flood understanding in the Tartarian realm is anywhere from the early 1800s to around 1860. And then it caps off and that's when you start seeing a lot more of the photographs. So, but I think that's the general Tartarian realm for the timeline on the on the mud flood all right i'm gonna hit up uh uh, andy what's up 
What's up? <laughs> when do you think the mud flood happened, man? I th- I think if it if it did happen, it was definitely in the mid eighteen hundreds. And as as I don't know, I, I don't know why I feel so confident about it. It just seems like yeah. that whole time period's a mystery, and the orphan trains really bother me. It seems like that that whole situation because period, I think yeah. every single one of us is like you know connected to this continent by how many generations not many you know it, it just all goes back to that time period and before that we don't have much information i mean some of us can point to native american roots too uh you know some people have native american in them but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know maybe maybe a long time ago groups of people were aware of the of what happened and who caused it or what caused it or something and and hmm. they've been flatlined over time too all right uh legit bat all three of yous at the same time yeah <laughs> it's the of way course. we like it yeah let those legit <laughs> bats fly giggity <laughs> i don't have bars sorry huh <laughs> shut up annie <laughs> no, I, I don't know anything more about this than anyone else it's all still okay. to me, it's all con- conjecture you know it's it's all guessing it's all looking at pictures and trying to figure out what the best scenario would be but i we don't know anything i i've come to know that more than anything because i don't know shit so okay. I, don't, I don't have a guess i i definitely am leaning towards like you said everybody else uh i think i if i had to guess i would say that it was uh 1840s um we were talking about the timeline uh oh sorry what were you gonna say go ahead oh uh 1840s we've talked about um and this is that timeline in specifically like i said i have looked more towards recent history from the event than previous history because in my opinion the previous history prior to what this mud flood might be has a whole lot more um no pun intended, covered on it that we may never know as a result yeah. of it. Um, whereas post that, everything that has been either found or covered is uncoverable, in my opinion, at least in some form, whether we actually do or not, uh, you know, that's up for debate. But I would say 1940s, um, and along with uh, Corey Hughes that we've had from Forbidden Knowledge News on, um, and a lot of what he's gone back to all the way to 1890. Um, I would say mm-hmm. that the, the mid 1860s, when the people start showing up in the towns, uh, based on when I think it was Mark Twain or Charles Dickens, one of the two, several of his um, novels start out with mud in the streets as more than any man could move. Um, mm. Things of that nature that all kind of seem to line up from when it ended and when they kind of, in my opinion, all came out of their houses and said, okay where do we start and that's when the you see the picture start you're talking about carts and wagons and shovels with these backdrops of just the most ridiculously ornate architecture that you have ever fucking seen and yet previous to that is when they give you the timelines of you know for instance like the first world's fair where they say that it was built in you know seven years um but they never they didn't have an automatic glass maker and it's you know however many football fields and then supposedly they tore it down and moved it and set it back up and it was curved all of those (laughs) things in my opinion all and then they burned it and then they burned it all of those things in my opinion along with the orphan trains when would the orphan trains uh children during the 1940s and 50s be adults around 1890 when they had the zionist summit yeah from there you kind of go on to 
also where they stopped teaching, supposedly stopped teaching flat earth in schools. All of these things all start coming about where these orphans, which in my opinion, the reason why there was an influx of it is because that's who you would save if there was room to save them from the flood. So if you have room to save the orphans from the flood, 30 years later, they're adults. They have a summit. Boom, 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 boom. Now you start laying out the history for the cover. Well, fuck. I'm going to be the black sheep of this bitch. <laughs> and I'm going to say that from what I've studied with the saga, I think that the Tartarians were uh, the, I guess you could say the pagans and they were building all this architecture and they knew of the incoming uh, Roman Catholic church who were spreading around, destroying every civilization and fucking them all up. And so uh, in the box saga story, it talks about how they buried all of these uh, ancient sites because they didn't want the Romans to destroy them. And so I would kind of go with like maybe around 900 or so. And I don't know how they would bury all of all of these sites uh, so quickly to hide from uh, the Romans. But interestingly enough, in uh, doing some research today, because I had the day off, I was looking into, you know, Tartarian stuff. And uh, I came across this article from Inverse by Alana Spivak, and it says cosmic ray discovery both confirms and complicates Viking legend. Leif Erikson, son of Viking explorer Eric the Red, was many things, an explorer in his own right. He played a starring role in 10th century Norse geopolitics. But he was also a deeply religious man, and like so many explorers with designs on setting new lands, he wanted to bring his religion, Christianity, Along for the ride, specifically, he wanted to bring Christianity to Greenland, but ended up being the first European to set foot on American soil instead. At least that's how the story goes. And now the science goes that way, too. In 1992 AD, the globe itself was in the grips of a solar storm. During the storm, high-energy particles blasted from the sun with such force they entered the Earth's atmosphere and collided with atoms, landing to a spike in atmospheric carbon. The moment was so powerful, trees recorded it in their rings, leaving a radiocarbon signal for future generations to find. So that's interesting as fuck, huh? But I'm, I'm no, that it is science. It. it is a mainstream type of shit. But interesting. And that's, that they say how is it mud floody? Because they said that there was a great solar storm. I'm guessing that had some type of repercussions on the planet. And around 1000 AD. Uh, it's worth looking into more. I just found that article on a whim today. But it kind of does. You fit definitely in. did go full black sheep there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, I, I know, I know. But well, well they because I'm the only one cover. I'm the only one that thinks stories. around the 900s is is when this happened. So, um, everybody else agrees well, there, that it's there probably in the well 1800s. Been, well, honestly, Multiple though, mud floods as well. If you look, Dan, at the uh, the whole timeline, whether it's been manipulated or not, 900 and oh. 800, 800 and 1800 <laughs> are the same time. I mean. You know, so it depends what could timeline be. you're looking at. Could be, could be. How do we know we're not actually living in 1020? Yeah. Uh, I just said that earlier. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. I uh I don't think so, but uh I know some people do. Lucky That's Dan. cool. 
All right, let me get I, let me get like, in there with that. I like to be different, but uh, Roman, you, you got one more thing to say? Yeah. Uh, well, I uh, I, I want to always touch on the 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 fact that there's a potentiality of expanding Earth, and it could be just the Earth, um, you know, <clears throat> creating more land, and then the water spread, then the oceans become more shallow, kind of like going whoosh, and then making ice caps fall in as well. And then therefore creating a hollow earth. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and, but the other great thing about um, the Tartarian ancient uh, uh, um, technology that they had that could be a potential, and we we're talking to Ari Esselin about this, was sound weapons or cymatics, understanding of the power of frequency and being able to harness that. And so, you know, you have, um, like you brought up Dan with the box saga story of they had to, they had to bury these really quick because they knew that the, the Holy Roman empire was coming to spread their monotheistic or you know, new world order. Them. Um, or, well, that's what I mean. They could have very well, um, either had a massive amount of charge on their own and because they understood how to use this technology and they could destroy these things, or they use some sort of cymatic sound frequency to cause liquefaction on their own selves. So they could have very much so brought it on themselves, went to Agartha, hung out un underneath <laughs> the earth or whatever, what have you. But I think that there's a large part of that. And then there's another side point I wanted to bring up, which goes into some other stuff that people were bringing up too, is the astrological point of things where if you really look at it philosophically and as deep and deep and deep as human spirituality wants to go, it's always to the stars and understanding the stars, understanding it to the point that we are trying to know the way the stars move, know the way that we move within the universe. And so ancient cultures always looked at that and that was very true, true to them, very true to us as humans, very true to everything that we know. Um, astrology plays a large part in that and our spirituality. And that's really what we are. You know, we are spiritual creatures and that's the beautiful point of being alive and spreading the truth. And so through that, I think they knew more about the stars. And if there was something happening on a cataclysmic level, you know, like these old Mayan calendars, it would be a destruction of this, so, so on and so forth. You know, they could have been talking about knowing that there's going to be cosmic flares and that causing more carbon buildup here or causing a heat or cold flux here. So I think, you know, thinking about their their spiritual belief system can also kind of help us like be like they used either their ancient technology to cause it a mud flood on themselves mm -hmm. um, or it was hijacked. And then the people, the, the Holy Roman Empire, whoever these people were in war with, because you goddamn right, it was a war and it could have been mud war. A mud oh. war to fucking mud flood a bunch of peoples up. Thank you for joining my Black Sheep Matter Club. Uh, Hell yeah. Anybody else on uh, mud flood or anything? No. All right, let's get into the orphan train then. Uh, so where did these orphans come from seems to be a big question. We, we can all agree that there was orphan trains. Uh, interestingly, I always picture like little newsy kids with their little their little flat hat things, you know, the Irish little hats. And uh, so it always makes me wonder if maybe they came from 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 Ireland or uh, Scotland or something. And then uh, what were the incubators for, really? I mean, they say they're for incubating babies, but how is there so many babies being born? And then uh, also in this is World's Fairs and what they were, what was going on with the World's Fairs and uh, was there indoctrination going on? And we can cover kind of all of these different things in uh, this segment right now. And uh, we'll, we'll go a little bit reverse on this one and we'll uh, start off with Andy. 
cool. I just want to take it in a wacky direction right off the bat. Perfect. So we have all these <laughs> incredible Roman type buildings, you know, going up in these world's fairs and everything, these old style. And when you think about it, we always compare these new parasite controllers to the old ones and saying they just kind of change change business logos or something you know so it seems to me almost like ritualistic like a like a working of some kind to then burn down these sites afterwards these effigies for the old way of building almost because you know now all these corporations and and massive uh conglomerates always build in 90 degree angles you know that's the whole structure of today where we've left that behind and they like to do these kinds of things they like to ritualize certain movements from you know transition periods from the old to the new so i just wanted to throw that in there because it's weird perfect legit bat let's get it jen what you got to say i know you want to talk i know you want to say something no, <laughs> Joe just left. We watched that documentary with the whole orphan train in the mud floods and everything. Uh, I have no, I haven't done any research on my own. I've just seen what I've seen on it. I don't really have any sort of uh, logical opinion on it. I have no idea. It could be aliens that are trying to repopulate. It could Excellent. be people that are trying to trick us. I, I don't know. So sorry. Excellent. That's all I got. Ben? Yes. Superman? Super Ben. Oh. Thank you. Um, You're wearing the, <laughs> the Seraphim S. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> on my Under Armour. Uh, so when it comes to the orphan trains, it's actually funny because when Joe and I were growing up, we watched some of the older films about the orphan trains. And uh, you can read outside of history books. You can read a lot of different um books like from again mark twain charles dickens and other writers of that nature where they talk about the orphan trains um a lot of stories about orphans as a whole like oliver twist um things of that nature where they were very prevalent and part of the documentary that jen is referring to is this idea that they safeguarded the populace of the kids for the purpose of repopulating the earth, which is why they got sent to multiple different parts around the world. Um, I agree with Joe that it's kind of one of those, I don't know shit, so what do we know? And that's that's where I've been lodged at with this entire uh, idea and time frame. The, the longer I go back farther than, I would say even to World War II and prior to that, the farther I go back, and it's not that far, the more I go, we have been lied to about everything. How do you connect dots when you don't know what the dots are? So when it comes to the orphan trains, yeah, what's the that? Dots. And the dots you do have, how do you know how to trust those dots? We had that conversation exactly. with uh, Dr. Farrell. He was talking about like, no, I've like researched the documents. I'm like, okay but how do you know how to believe how those docs documents? like those are words printed on a paper like anything fucking else we look at i don't know how much to trust these documents from the cia who we already don't trust you know what i mean yeah that's how i feel about well, FOIA all the time i'm always i was just about to say FOIA. FOIA. thank you i constantly I talk shit on FOIA all the time like yeah. seriously we're, we're asking permission to have information that shouldn't have been secret to begin with but <laughs> from people that shouldn't and aren't in charge of us to begin with yeah, and then you get nothing but and black then, cars and, 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 and the then, well, at and, and 
or you yeah. do get information that sends you flying in one direction. So I don't know. Misdirection. Well, yeah. Okay. Here's well, your information and- that you politely asked for. So that's my thing is, is no, 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 you're good. I I completely agree with you. Uh, Corey Hughes talks about all the time. 1947 was a huge year for the entire earth. It saw uh, Roswell. It saw the cover up of Roswell. It saw the formation uh, in the UN summit of the CIA and then the SOS um, and a bunch of these other things that from that point on anything prior and what they wrote, in my opinion, you know, there's the saying, uh, history is written by the victor. And I think that we see a lot of that with what we're talking about is the idea that the people that were left that had the knowledge who have long since been dead, started whatever the train of thought was in those orphan trains. Think about the amount of children versus the amount of adult population that supposedly the earth had in the 1860s. I've talked about this multiple times with multiple podcasters. According to what we're told, um at the turn of the century in the 1900s we had less than a billion people so you're telling me that for however long the earth has been around it's been under that amount but then in 120 years we've multiplied that by eight i don't think i I don't think any of that's true so the idea of this cataclysm happening in the mid 1800s them safeguarding the children and then them saying how do we not repeat history well let's Go in a different direction. Let's not harness any of the energy. Let's see if we can do it by ourselves. Shit on the earth, this, that, and the other. I I think that the orphan trains were completely real. And I think that they had a purpose of repopulating the earth. Okay. Uh, Let's go to uh, Into the Apocalypse, Adam and Chad. What do you guys got to say? So I got got a good little short story here of uh, as I first heard of Tartaria and was trying to wrap my head around it like a lot of people um my uh, a big response I had was well how could this have happened so recently um I I live on family property that's been in my family for a long time I'm in a basement that my great-grandfather had built right now and that was in 1906 and how could this man who I never met but, you know, I'm pretty close to, I, I knew my grandfather, his son very well. Like, wouldn't there be some residual talk of this that would have happened just before him? But I look back one, one step further at his father, my great-great-grandfather, who had land really close to here. And, I, and this was kind of a breakthrough moment for me as I, as I went, well, what information do I have? I have this old book of uh, farmers from this local area, and it's got a paragraph on my great-great-grandfather Gottlieb. And I look it up, and uh, yeah, he lived happily in Germany until 1865 when both of his parents died on the same day, and he was orphaned. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> um yeah there's you know he was one of those tangible stories from somebody that i'm talking to live that i'm like see you motherfuckers sorry go ahead there's instances of this and um he wasn't i don't think we can say orphan train because apparently he was then educated by the state where he was while going to school also worked in a sugar factory until he was 18 and he'd saved enough money to buy land, which he then sold and then moved over to the United States. But I mean, it was one of those like, 
you know, I had to put on the brakes because I went, oh shit, you know, this, I come from an orphan from 1865 of all, of all the times, you know, like it's, it's just right there. So, I mean, and then I have to ask myself all the information I have, the only information I'm ever going to have is that both his parents died on the same day, that sentence, uh, nothing more, you know, how did they die? Did they die? Did they sell him? Were they offered something they couldn't refuse? Um, was he just taken? Uh, did he have a prehistory to that? I mean, just none of this will ever be answered, but just the fact that he was orphaned in Germany at that time. I mean, it's uh, talk about some red flags right there, you know? Adam. Yeah, I'm under the same same kind of thing as, as Chud there. Like I, you know, I, I know about my grandma. I don't know about her, her parents. Um, my grandma went to Ellis Island by herself in 1907. And uh, I don't, you know, she apparently went and met up with some, her family in California after that. That's, that's about all I know. Um, the stuff that I find the most interesting, I guess the question that comes up for me is how did, if, if, if we're supposing that all these orphans came about because their parents died from from a cataclysmic mud flood, why did the why did the children survive? Um, I'm sure there's way more that I'm missing in that whole story, but um, the stuff about um, Australia and and children being shipped from Ireland and Scotland to Australia. Um, that's that's really uh, interesting to me. And then the whole fact that I've heard Max Egan talk about it, and he says that that there's like distinct physical features that Australian people have too, that they're not just just English people. That there was actually like white people in Australia before, but that's kind of getting off topic. But um, yeah, I guess I just want to know I want to know what the what the explanation is for why why all the kids survived and why why parents died and then i was listening to to matt's, to matt's podcast recently with old scary world and that was a that was such a good show uh, episode matt i i really really enjoyed it and that guy's on some some next level shit with uh go watch his his youtube channel because it's like it's like really well done it's all super creepy and stuff but he uh he's from the bay area i lived there for a long time and there's this town called colma it's just south of south of San Francisco. It's a really shitty place. There's like a Home Depot there, and then the rest of the town is 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 a graveyard. There's like there's and he, he gives a stat out too. There's more dead people there than there are alive people. <laughs> and he said he went and looked through these gigantic um cemeteries, and it's like the section of of all the people who have died supposedly from the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco, and none of the gravestones have anybody whose birth date predates 19 or 1860. So um, yeah, makes me wonder. So oh. I'll stop it there. <laughs> uh, let's go to uh, Randy. Yeah, dude, it's uh, where did all the babies and, and children come from? Yeah, maybe, maybe not That's so much just the orphans, <laughs> but um, really busy the incubator, dudes. the incubator baby thing throws me for a loop. So 
Um, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't say it's all speculation, but I don't know if they were cloned people or stolen children or or what could be going on there. But it it's uh is that what they're doing with us now with all these experimental jabs and mm -hmm. all this other stuff, getting rid of all the older folks? I was just you know, gonna go there. Yeah, could could be, my... you know, that's it's scary. You know, it's scary to have to have that thought, but it's there, definitely. Uh let's go to Mark. My family thinks I'm crazy. Hello. You're muted. Muted. Sorry, not used to muting myself on Zoom. So <laughs> I definitely think that uh, the, the reservations and pushing Native Americans on the reservations, like when I hear all that I hear about orphan trains, it reminds me of that, you know, the, I, the concept of taking a group of people who mm. have a, a sort of attachment to one place, you know, maybe energetically, uh, and, you know, severing that connection and, and implanting them somewhere else. Um, but I also think what's interesting is like the, the concept of like children's books seems to come up around that same time which is like interesting because you have all these authors who have like a theosophical background or, you know, another strange esoteric mm. group, which isn't that strange considering the time a lot of people who had the money to sit around and write books also joined groups like this, but, you know, posing this as like a, a total hypothetical here, maybe that is a possible indication, you know, and it fits into the world fairs as well, where they, show the different races of man, uh, you know, in a very, what we would consider, you know, kind of racist and demeaning way now. Uh, but it, it was in an effort to possibly rewrite history, you know, um, as far as the, I know we're going to get to this possibly later on, but as far as the missing time, since it was brought up, I don't know. I mean, we have, we have Chinese culture that goes back, as far as BC and we have a history of the whole Chinese dynasty. So, it, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a period people can look into and say like, Oh, well this it doesn't add up here, but you know, given that that kind of existed in its own microcosm, I don't really have much, you know, um, I don't put much weight to the missing time thing, just given that there is a, a written history of China going back that far. Uh, but that's totally unrelated to the orphan train thing. Uh, but what might be related in terms of Chinese people is we hear that they were a big part of building the railroad, yeah. you know, and, and I've heard some more wild speculation that the railroads were already there, you know, and they've been here for, you know, thousands of years. I, you know, maybe that's not as wild as I think, I mean, some of the railroads go over mountains in ways that you're like, geez, a bunch of people who spoke different languages work together to do this. It just seems a little impractical, but at the same time, you know, we don't want to take credit away from uh, people. You know, we tend to have this uh, bias given that we think we're in the most technologically advanced age that, oh, you know, they couldn't have pulled it off, but I think that just goes back to why I have a lot of suspicion about ancient alien theories, because I think given the, the right knowledge and also the right technology or even energetic connection to the earth itself, I think we can pull off really incredible works of uh, architecture, sculpture. <clears throat> you see it 
all over the world, regardless of people, race, or culture. And that's what's so interesting, uh, again, about the World's Fair, is you see this sort of diminution of everything that isn't uh, Anglo-Saxon or like going back to Roman Greece, you know, not Anglo-Saxon, but but definitely this really big emphasis on Western culture as the main driver of progress. And I think that is an indication that the whole thing was propaganda and what they're covering up. You know, Michelle has talked a lot about this whole subject, so I would just refer to her uh, on a lot of this stuff. But as far as I can tell, it it has much further reaches than just orphans on trains. Excellent. Yeah, that's all all good stuff right there, too. Uh, I agree with you with a lot of that. Uh, Michelle, let's uh, get your take on this. Uh, orphan trains, uh, where did the orphans come from? What were the incubators for, the World's Fairs, and were, was it some form of indoctrination going on at this time? Yeah. <laughs> yes so um you know let's <laughs> let's look let's look at the the 1800s that we've been been talking about um so from my timeline research around 1830 is when it seems like the ground level of the new world order was was starting um that uh businesses were started um a lot of communities a lot of them were um if you look back at there's a lot of German influence in these early communities, a lot of Jewish influence in these early communities that, you know, we're starting to get department stores and, you know, stores are being set up and the financial system is being laid out. But another thing that's happening is distilleries and breweries are showing up all over the place. So in terms of what we're seeing, possibly with the adult population, is they're being given you know, every opportunity to imbibe that there could possibly be. You know, you know I, I can't tell you how many distilleries and breweries I've found around that time period. Um, I agree, Ben, I think they were repopulating with the kids, um, but it was around 1830 that you start having this explosion of parentless children at the same time. Um, charitable aid associations came into being. Um, there was a, it was almost like the elite were saying, okay, what are we going to do with these people? <laughs> you know, we've got these yucky humans here. We've got to do something. And, and you start seeing the asylums, you know, the, the workhouses, the insane asylums, the orphanages, you know, all this stuff is coming up about the same time. And I see that whole time period as a mess for humanity. And um, when you get into this subject of the orphan trains, and again, with the historical narrative you really have to read between the lines because they're going to tell you that this was for everybody's good um that they, they had these kids at the new york juvenile asylum for example and that was one of the first ones that um when charles loring brace started the the orphan train program through the children's aid association um it was the that particular one in new york that supplied a bunch of kids and in 1854, they were sent to a place called Dewegiac, Michigan. And most of the kids were adopted. They considered the program a success. The ones that didn't get adopted were shipped on out west. And they're like, hey, we got it. We got a good deal going here. And the the ideals of the program are we, you know, we're giving these kids uh, you know, place out of the city, we're giving them homes. 
but there was no accountability for the kids. And this program went on for, I'm, I'm thinking it was about 75 years from that time period. Um, the Charles Lloyd Brace's orphan train program was supported by people like Mary Astor of the Astor family. And um, I've come to see it in a couple of different ways. Um, I think it was early child trafficking. Um, you know, it just, it just seems like there was an industrial scale thing going on because there were no checks or balances for the kids. If they ended up in a good home, I think it was a matter of luck. Um, they, they would stop these trains in these towns and had these gatherings organized and the kids would go in and they would be paraded in front of a bunch of strangers. And the strangers would say, okay, okay I'll take that one. You know, and they might have to sign a piece of paper or something. Um, they were supposed to require or have them get educated and clothe them and feed them, but there was no requirement to adopt them. Um, these are the things that are in the historical narrative. And, and so that was going on for that period of time. And then you've had the inventoriums, which came in at the end of the 19th century, so around in the 1890s. And that was a sideshow attraction that was called healthcare for premature infants. And um, the, supposedly the hospitals didn't provide this, but they had all these babies as a sideshow attraction in these incubators that people paid to go and see that somehow that was healthcare. And this stuff is easy to look up in the narrative. Just, wow. just type in inventorium and it, it pops right up. They're not hiding it. And supposedly it was a sideshow to collect the funds to continue uh, caring for them. That's the narrative. Was Barnum a part of that sideshow? Was that a part of that? His, it was his Cooney. Strange... Cooney was. Yeah. Um, Martin Cooney. <laughs> Is that Cooney, Coney Island? Is that the same thing or no? Yeah. It wasn't the same name. It was like a, a difference of one letter spelling, but Coney Island had a permanent one. Most of the world fairs had inventoriums. On the, you know, the point you made about the Astor family, that's really strange considering, you know, John Jacob Astor, you know, was involved with the Titanic, right? He famously yeah. perished on the Titanic. And he's also behind the building of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, which is, you know, in all respect, you know, <laughs> strange looking. Yeah. And uh, and not to mention, he wrote a science fiction novel. And he also, um, and I'm reading this off of Wikipedia, guys, I don't remember this off the top of my head. Uh, he also created something called a vibratory disintegrator that got gas out of peat moss. So there's a lot of strange, uh, weird loops you can go or rabbit holes you can go down uh, with the Astor family specifically. Right. And, and Jacob Astor, the first one, was like the first millionaire <laughs> and he he got heavily involved in the fur trade he had stuff out there in oregon you know astoria oregon was was john was jacob astor yeah michelle I, I just i live i live uh right in between portland and astoria and i just i just made that connection right now i, like, Man, I know there's astoria queens there's astoria astor. oregon yeah so well and, and so, go ahead so, no i was just going to say the point being the Astor. the, the asters if you look up you know, Illuminati bloodline family, they're one of the names. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and they were at the ground floor. And, and that, that kind of goes back to what you were saying with uh, about Lewis and Clark, Adam. 
um, you know, there's a connection with all these elite families and Lewis and Clark. Uh, um, I wow. wanted to bring up one more thing and shout out to Golden Gate Starfort Command. And uh, maybe Andy, you can help us on this. And that's the City Beautiful movement. Andy, yeah. Andy, before you answer that, I got to go, guys. So I, I really appreciate yeah. being on the show. Uh, Thanks, Ben. To, to all of the people that I've met, some of the, the couple of people that I haven't met, it's nice to meet you guys. Great to see all your guys' faces. I look forward to the next time that we see you. Um, Adam, Dan, Matt, Randy, Homie Romy, Michelle, it was nice meeting you. Mr. Steves and Chud, it was nice meeting you as well. Obviously, Andy, love your face. Have a good love one. Yours. I'll hand it over to you. <laughs> so, bye. 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 The city beautiful. I've I would met say Ben before. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the city beautiful would be a great example of uh, some serious programming into the public. It seems uh, I wish we had Casey on with us because he could go into much more detail yeah. about it, but uh, he's, he's found a lot of evidence for it. Uh, he's gotten a bunch of stuff off eBay, old collectibles and things like that. All these advertisements for the city beautiful. And these are like pamphlets and attractions to come see this beautification process of all these different U S cities across the nation. And they're all happening around the same time in the 1800s, right around the turn of the century, I think. Um, but yeah, it was just like another thing similar to the world's fairs, just not on the same level, but it was more of a, uh, seemed yeah, like a reclamation project. Like they're cleaning all these up, making them shine and look pretty. And then but, showing everybody, look what we did. Right. And again, we could go down that path where it's like, okay, well, how does this programming work? It's usually give us a story and one piece of it's true and the rest of it's not. So it's like, what part of this is true and what's the big crap fest that doesn't actually fit the real puzzle anymore? You know what I mean? This is yeah. a really tricky part of it. Um, the way that they've tried to program or what the way it looks to be in the city beautiful is that you know things are new now you know we've upgraded everything come check it out and of course the that's you know the the truth or the possible truth would more more be like that well no this is you know we're leftover remnants of things or something that we're changing and uh, you know using in a different way now or taking down altogether and rebuilding in our own way yeah uh can i just add something real quick yeah yeah sure. um i highly recommend you all look up rural cemetery movement oh just check it out in in uh, wikipedia that, and that just reminded me of it andy so that's why i wanted to jump in Great. nice um, and they only is... moved the headstones <laughs> and that is a that is Ooh. a bizarro piece of history where us you know say like between 1830 1850 and 1900 they had these rural cemeteries that were you know like art parks for families uh, to go stroll and you know they could have their so you know there was like a the timeline a place well, for the for the commoners and there was a place for the elite and sometimes there was a wall between the two but this, these beautiful parks and then around 1900 they're like oh we're not going to do this anymore we're gonna you know change this to like a private area or something like that but it's just just look it up because there's there's something there that's just really strange hmm. does this connect in 
does this connect in in any way to with like the national parks and how they make them off limits because there's either something going on in the parks or there's some type of archaeology they don't want us to see so it just remains kind of covered up by all the bushes and trees and everything else like that i I believe that i mean there's something really special about these old cemeteries no joke i would say you know there's definitely uh something to that on a esoteric level i mean uh an example of one of these rural cemeteries is one that i know you could still go to it's in uh connecticut not challenging you in any way because i'm sure a lot of them have been you know closed off or repurposed but this one uh is in yale university and it has uh over the you know kind of archway that looks very similar to a lot of these um I don't know really the best way to describe them architecturally, but they look like an upside down magnet, like a magnet stuck on the ground. You shape arch. Right. So, and it says the dead shall be raised right above it. It's, you know, kind of a spooky (laughs) thing that a lot of people point at like, Oh, that's creepy, you know, but there's mausoleums and there's tons of obelisks, which again, if we're going to go off the electric universe model of things and, and the way this energy is being utilized by certain groups, I think what, you know, the purpose of something like that would be is for people to be exposed to that sort of energy. And you also see around that same time, the horror, you know, kind of genre also developing as well. So it's interesting that they repurpose these mounds, these sacred sites that were once revered and honored by the native peoples that were here, you know, sacred sites that are largely dismissed uncovered or thought of for other reasons uh to be not as significant as they truly are it would make sense you know given a lot of the traditional practices of these like war like again going back to the parasite where they take a sacred site and then they intern it and bury uh dead people uh of their own group in that place right i think in new haven exactly an example of that something i learned like 10 years ago from someone who i talked about a bunch of mentor of mine he was like hey you know this green we're standing on you know a town green is supposed to be a meeting place a park they put concerts there there's churches there homeless people hang out there all hours of the day so it's a green right it used to be a burial ground for the tribe that lived in new haven before the dutch came and and named it new haven so you know, they take the place that once was uh, a place where the dead were buried, turn that into a public area, much like <laughs> Michelle just mentioned, and then they take Seems the, like a the common theme. Right. And then they take a place that maybe was sacred for other reasons, not, you know, a burial ground, and that's where they choose to bury their dead. And maybe they realize, like, hey, we got to keep this under wraps. So let's not make it a theme park <laughs> attraction. Let's just you know, close the gates. Wow. wow. Fucking amazing. Uh, I think Roman. they definitely use national parks to uh, cover up old ancient mounds too. Like they'll just be like, oh, yeah. it's all national forest, totally fed land. Don't go exploring in here because we have guns now. Fed, <laughs> fed land. Crazy. Uh, I was thinking about the orphan trains and like something that I thought was just like, okay, let's try to think about this from a, a numerical logic logistical numerical standpoint hmm? how many how many humans were alive on the population uh at, at, during the 1860 right 
And I was like, hmm, let, let's look it up. And there was like a lot. There's a lot of humans alive in 1860. Um, let's see, year 1860, 1870. So we're told, right? Oh, geez. Yeah, how did how did that census work so we're out? Told, in like <laughs> sub-Saharan Africa. Well, this is, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. I in know the, this the is Amazon. the estimates of historical world population on Wikipedia. So it's just like the most mainstream, you know, information you can get. But it's really like, yeah, if you have the right books that were, you know, used as a census at that time, if they were taking global census at that time. But the point I'm getting at is like, you know, um, when talking about the mud flood and like there being a massive amount of people wiped out, well, then how many people were left recorded at that time, you know, like afterwards that they're saying are recorded, you know, it's, it's just a. Uh, it's just a, it's just a, another point I wanted to look at for you know having just another like point of view for the for that time period of the orphan trains. Are you like, saying like maybe we should see like a from? decline, like a big decline or something in population at some point, like right there? How did we get to the billions that we have today mm -hmm. from the 1860s? What's the average you know growth rate of families at that point in time? Looking at those kind of like you know that that shit and then so what they're going to do is they're going to completely modify the, the the population, right? Numbers through whatever type of agenda they have. So, um, but if we look for world populations in different types of censuses and try to put an alternative number to the mainstream number, then we might be able to come up with uh, another type of conclusion for that. Like where the fuck all these kids came from, how they came from, there would be either, yeah, the, the other half, which is their two parents deceasing or it's they're giving their children up because they're being forced to give their children up. Potentially, I don't know. Human trafficking's probably been a thing for the entirety of humankind, which is unfortunate. But I mean, just look at it now. I mean, I don't see it being any different. Uh, you know, there, as long as there's the shadow entity that hangs upon you know the human uh, uh, consciousness, which is the darkness, and to do whatever fucked up things that require humans to do human trafficking with. That's a whole standpoint I look at, you know, I think trains, I think kids, I think human trafficking, I think of the fucked up stories that I know happen now and, and, and like the, the terrible things. So, uh, it's, that's all I got on order for trains. I mean, like I, I've, I've read the books, some books, uh, what was the one, uh, Henry Ford, he, uh, went and burned all the train train stations down across. Cause like we had a shit ton of train uh, uh, trainways all across the country and people were really into taking the train everywhere. And like, they didn't really like, people were like, yeah, like individual cars. That's awesome. Right. But also it's just like, well, when you take away all the public transportation or hide it or suppress it, basically, then you're being forced to take individual transportation. So there's something fishy with the railroads in general. Right. And if it was our, uh, our Tartarian architecture and powered by some sort of magnetic, uh, you know, type of technology. And then you, so the, the trains in general are Tartarian fishery, if you will. And I will. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, next question. All right. Uh, hold on. We haven't Before, got to real Matt quick. yet, but okay. Oh, real quick. What, real, what's up, real quick. I was going to say, it's not necessarily the orphan trains, but it's interesting to note that there was a lot of, um, a lot of research about, um, single mothers and bastard children, and uh, being coerced into giving their children up for money and selling mm. them. Uh, MK Ultra type shit. Yeah, way before supposed MK Ultra specifically, but I mean, this everything is a precursor to 
to another precursor to another precursor. This is all fractal. <laughs> um, so let's go to Matt. And I know Matt's been doing a lot of stuff over on his podcast about the old world and Tartaria and doing uh, mud flood stuff and uh, orphan trains and world's fairs and everything. So I'm sure he has a little bit more information to add to this uh, subject right here. Uh, so what do you think, Matt? Yeah, the, the orphan trains are interesting. And, and one of the things that I never really pieced together until I listened to Michelle was putting together the idea of the increase in, in asylums at that time. And how you as you see the rise in asylums, that could explain where the parents went without a drastic population decrease. So that that's one potential idea. And, and that also assists with the you know, re-indoctrination, so to speak. Those would probably be the outliers that wouldn't uh, agree to the new narrative or they'd be difficult to convince of the new narrative, right? So All those tinfoil hat wearers, right? Yeah, so you get them and you throw them into a nut house and then you have all these these children. I mean, I I'd, I think that has some some substance to it. So Definitely. that's these, where- These asylums are the, the FEMA camps of their day. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And, and, and look at look at the buildings. It's not like they're throwing them in these cheap buildings. These are elaborate architectural structures, right? They're what we would call this time frame of, 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 of structures that could go back thousands of years or they could be, you know, a couple hundred years. But these are and they're massive buildings as well. So uh, it all it all kind of ties in together. And then when you think about the incubators, that's another area where they could have gotten babies, you know, it, it all ties in. And, and I think that that one could be a little bit more nefarious because I've seen a few things where they were talking about those could possibly be, you know, the first clone babies and things like that, that they were trying to keep alive. And, uh, but the whole idea of the incubators is, is, you know, a, a terrible idea in itself because you, you're depriving children of any social or motherly interaction. So those children are automatically going to start off with severe issues, you know, developmental issues going forward. And, you know, they were basically the same way. They were a, a, a sideshow, you know, Cooney traveled them around the world um and showed them off and at times they were allowed to be purchased so yeah it's another ties into the go ahead michelle no i was just going to say i'll give you another rabbit hole and oh god you can look this up <laughs> but um the year the inventorium program ended was about the same time planned parenthood the organization that became oh, planned parenthood shit. started and oh, that was like 1942 1943 because yeah. there was a fire at the coney island inventorium and and Cooney's like, okay, well, I got to get out of this business. And about that time, Margaret Sanger started the, the this or, organization that became Planned Parenthood, which wow, I thought was really interesting. That's great. I've never heard wow. that before. That's a fascinating point right there. And and that that ties in with a lot of things, right? And you see that throughout history where one program ends and another just picks up. I mean, we see it today with social media networks and things, uh, but it goes back throughout history and that wow that's a that's a fascinating one wow so i i know we've been going for a, a little over two hours already <laughs> i, I like still have about done. four four more questions to get into so um if anybody needs to go or whatever you can go 
go ahead and go. I don't want you to go, but I know maybe some people only block out two hours for these types of things usually. So, um, but I, I do have more questions. And um, the next question, I, I, I can tell you the points. Uh, the next one is who were the builders and who were the inheritors? And then the next question, we're gonna get into lost tech. Did they know how to control electricity? Were they using it for healing, cymatics and sound healing? What were the buildings used for? When were these structures built? And uh, the symbolism uh, in the structures themselves and everywhere else. And then uh, another one is star forts and then missing time. And then uh, one last question that we could probably <laughs> end it on would be uh, the inevitable flat earth question and how flat earth is connected with the Tartaria situation. Uh, so I just want you guys to know what the upcoming ones are. So um, you, you can uh, judge your time wisely. Um, is there is there any of those situations? Three that hours any, on yeah, is there any of those uh, questions that anybody wants to get into because they might be leaving soon and they, they have something to say about it? No, no, no. I'm we're good, good until eleven. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I'm good for another forty five minutes. I know we're good on. Uh, we got some East Coasters here, and I know it's late <laughs> over there. It's probably eleven, a little after eleven there. So I don't, I don't want to. Hold it's up Friday anybody. night, dude. Are you challenging me? Oh, I got to work in the morning. I got to, I work in the morning. It's only nine here for me, work so too. I got tons of time. But, uh, and I always got time for all of you guys, man. I swear. Oh, um, thank you. So then let's get into that. Two? Who, say what? Are we looking for a part two, too? No, I don't want to do a part two. <laughs> but, but I'm not opposed to it being on a, a part two. Uh, just saying, but I also can rock, rock it to my socks. Let's, well, let's rock guys, it. Let's no, if you guys want to rock it for a little fine. while, I'll, I'll toss the uh, the host over to you, dude. It'll keep streaming and recording and all that shit. And then I, I'm gonna bounce out too because I got to work tomorrow. So, okay, let me all add right. you a host. Beautiful. All right, Napa Insane Asylum is one that's really close to me. And when I, I brought it up a couple times on our show, and I, I just thought, like, I definitely think that there's a big big tie with like taking over a lot of these like old like because most of them are turned into churches or cathedral they call them off pass them off as cathedrals you're talking right? about you're talking about napa state hospitals. hospital yes do you have you been there yeah i grew up i went to high school in uh saint helena so there's a 7-eleven crazy some bitch let's yeah. go but uh have you ever have you ever seen the uh the video of when they let um who the cramps play there in like the late <gasps> 70s it's i'm a on big YouTube, cramps dude. fan dude uh, it's on youtube it's it's in, it's literally insane they let the cramps go and play at a I, criminal a mentally insane criminally insane <laughs> hospital the art that's in there apparently is nuts like and now it's known as like the department of state hospital of california the department of state hospital so i don't it's got some deep esoteric ties to it and occultic shit going on and um also live like 45 minutes away from uh bohemian grove too so like if anybody's ever in the northern california redwoods and wants to get a little field work going and just hit me up i'm down <laughs> all right uh well let's get into the next question then uh real quick uh who were the builders and who were the inheritors uh, so this is going to like, who, who are the controllers now? Were they the ones that took over these Tartarian structures? 
And uh, how much does a religion play a part in this whole dynamic? Uh, and we'll start off with Michelle on this one. Okay. Yeah, because I, I have some pretty pretty definite ideas about who I think we're talking about. <laughs> um, so I believe that we you know, talked about the Jesuits and talked about the Masons earlier. And mm -hmm. I think there was a huge infiltration into the Masonic lodges. And I think Freemasonry is just that. They didn't build, build them. They just took credit for them and they took over um, up to 33rd degrees, 33 degrees. Um, they turned, they didn't build anything, but they, but they're good at reverse engineering or using the occult as a control mechanism. The original Masons, I believe, date back to ancient Mu and were Moorish. And Mark, I guess I need to talk to you because Dan and Romy said I should talk to Roz Ben sometime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can't make any promises, but I could definitely do my best to put you in touch with them. I think that'd okay. be a great future episode if we could uh, convince him to, to do a group show. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Cause I think everything's laid out according to sacred geometry. I think every building and every piece of infrastructure was mm -hmm. precisely placed. And that was part of the, the grid so. system. Um, the original Moorish Masons had 360 degrees and, um, you know, basically knew what they were doing, knew where they were on the planet or on the, I guess, whatever, plain planet. Um, you know, there's no question they, they, they knew what they were doing. And um, I think their whole, everything got infiltrated and, um, their symbolism and everything else got taken over by the Freemasons and the Freemasons became them with the fezes and, you know, they're, they're dressing up mm. and pretending to be the bastard builders, but um, they're just using masonry to take that, you know, try to harm humanity and um, infiltrate. And the, what was the other part of your question? Cause there was a tie in, uh, who the who the controllers are and uh, how does religion play a part and who were the inheritors of these buildings? Okay, so um, I think that organized religion came in with a hijack of the timeline, um, and that originally humanity was learning how to reconnect with our higher selves. And you know, if you think Tibetan Buddhism or you know Hinduism or something along those lines, um, they were. I think they were in a higher consciousness, but as far as the inheritors, you know, I think we're talking an inversion of everything and, you know, Zionists and the whole nine yards, as far as what we're seeing today, you know, I think, I think this whole thing has been a, about an, an attempt to, you know, for this, this dark side to take over the top spot and become the, the, you know, Instead of turning us into the likeness of our creator, they want to turn us into the likeness of them. <laughs> and we're finally, yeah. you know, we're waking up. We're waking up to that. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would say, too, is that the, the Roman Catholic Church or the Catholics came in and kind of uh, destroyed all of the pagan culture. Anything that was said to be pagan, like alchemy or magic or anything esoteric or 
witchcraft, you know, anything that was used uh, like natural medicines and everything like that has been all flipped and is all evil and bad because the pagans did it. And now use pharma, pharmacopoeia, use pharmacy drugs, use, uh, you know, science is the new law and they kind of just flipped everything. You have to believe in our God or we're going to destroy you. Same thing they did to the natives of native Americans of this land. And it goes all throughout Europe and all throughout the other countries too, that they, they, they spread this and they try to just take over. So what they did was they just demonize everything else that they didn't like, made it seem bad. There's even, you can get into sexual relations too and sex and the Puritans coming over here uh, early in our history also, and, and all of that type of stuff. So um, let's uh, flip it over to uh, Andy. Uh so what are we getting into right now? Uh, this is uh, who who were the builders? Oh, the, oh, the, con the controllers. Yeah. And who are the controllers? Because yeah. when we say Tartaria, it sounds like we're talking. It's so blanket term. We, For me, sometimes I don't understand if we're talking about who are the controllers now or who was here before when we right. talk about Tartaria. So uh, I just want a, a definitive answer on who we believe each of those people are. Or where and they also, came from, or you know, you could generalize that too, I guess. Do you hear Tor in Tartaria? Tortoria. Yeah. Yeah. So the the Tor all the way back to the saga again with the Tor friend, right? Yeah, and, and Tar the, Tartarus. Tartarus, and also the um, hellhole. The idea of the Tor uh, forming the key, uh, which was near Crete. And, it, and it's like oh you have a country turkey right there yeah turkey yeah it's very weird um i think the yeah the original builders were some sort of perennial philosophy worshiping you know nature derived kind of society of some kind and uh i i'm very curious how a society like that gets taken over you know what i mean or falls from grace or something it's really weird but the ones who have inherited are yeah i i think we're in agreement across the board that it's this same serpentine trickster group that always hides behind good guys and vulnerable groups throughout history and likes to play the victim all the time so yeah i don't know where that leads exactly i have some ideas it leads down some pretty yeah, I mean, dark roads. Yeah, when we look at our government now and the players in the government and what they all connect back to, they all connect back to certain organizations, right, or groups. Mm -hmm. And then you can see that those groups also connect into certain religious organizations <laughs> and groups. And then you can justify or make a assertion that most likely this group is what is controlling everything else there's also a, something else about the inversion that you know you and yake and i have talked about on a number of occasions about how like it's kind of like at some point both sides seem to play that hand mm. often and when you go back in time far enough and you try to relate certain things to you know more recent history you find that the dualities you're trying to pin onto the older past 
don't even exist because they're all good and bad guys or, or, right. you know, it, yeah. it, it's very bizarre. It's almost like, yeah, we just have the dualities are set up for us almost, you know? And when, meanwhile, it's like, or, or maybe we've just lost, we've lost our connection to that past. So we don't remember that these, how these terms and symbols were placed and how, where they come from, are a lot more arbitrary sometimes than we we think too yeah so i i would use the parental reference in this and the fact that are they are they really evil are they really telling us we can't do this and we can't do that just to be hateful or are they telling us that things because they really believe that it's for our own good and that they're helping us in a way you know like telling your kid that you don't have money to go buy them their toy at target that they want but then you go home and you you go buy yourself uh or whatever and they go well how come you bought that well it's my money you know it seems like it's that's a, the model but they're not parents oof. that's the problem <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's so, the model they try to use but they're children themselves or something like that you know yeah yeah uh mark what you gotta say because I know you're going to go a little, little different. With uh, with the question on who who are the uh, inheritors and who are the, what builders. was the second part? Who's the builders, yeah. Who, right. Yeah. So I think we have a lot of evidence for, you know, as Michelle put, multiple different cultures, you know, specifically mm. in that case, the Moors, but you guys put it, uh, the northern European cultures and and as I was kind of bringing up earlier possibly the Mongols and then even further like Chud brought up really early on the Native Americans right so there's all these groups that were potentially diaspora from this pre-flood civilization yeah. uh, whether or not they are builders or inheritors I think you know the builders my bet is that it was pre-flood, um, depending on what structure we're looking at, you know, mm -hmm. the more significant, beautiful, outstanding ones for sure pre-flood. But in the case of, you know, the people who are, you know, stopping all of this for the deceivers or the, co the coverters, I thought, you know, that was more the angle I wanted to take with it because there's all these groups that claim to have a sort of, you know, divine, right. You know, mm -hmm. we see these groups who claim to have some kind of secret knowledge and, you know, one group specifically, the Freemasons even goes back to the temple of Solomon, which, you know, is by all intensive purposes, one of these buildings, uh, whether it exists anymore or it's submerged under the ground or maybe it's a melted mountain now, who knows? But I think that is extremely significant to a lot of conspiracy theories. I don't want to go down the, you know, the Jewish route that they're all to blame because I don't think that's the explanation, but I think that might be why there's this historical anti-Semitism uh, associated with conspiratorial thinking because it does relate inherently to that part uh that part of the globe or you know or the plane you know whichever side of it you're in 
Uh, but that's for the end of the conversation. But yeah, I think there's definitely, uh, whether it's aristocratic, royal, or just straight up secret society, there is a, a group that's working to uh, obscure the actual truth of where we come from. Uh, and I think we can look towards those cataclysms as marker points. And what we see is the cultures who had a strong naval presence uh, proliferated around the globe and most likely took re retook those structures that were left behind. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I kind of lean with all that. Hey, more right, on Matt. that, uh, Jewish timeline thing that, you know, it's a, once again, it's that hiding behind vulnerable groups, you know, and playing the victim. It's just that same thing playing out. It seems yeah. Matt, what you gotta say? You're muted. Yeah, can't hear you. Can't hear you. We can't hear you. <laughs> It'd help if the mic wasn't muted. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus. It's late over here. It's like 1230. So I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm oh, way past my bedtime. Uh, uh, no, so I, I would say as far as the narrative goes, I that, you know, you look at everything and it goes back to the Jesuits and, you know, the Roman Catholic Church and mm -hmm. and city and of london yeah exactly so that's that's where this whole new you know especially the latest great great reset you know last few have have focused around them so that's where the they're the kind of boogeyman you know that hides and, and again plays plays the victim a lot of the times and uh as far as who built it i you know, there's so many different possibilities and so, but the one thing you see consistently is similar architecture, right? Especially in the era that we're talking about, we're talking about that, that Greco Roman style of, of architecture. You know, there's obviously different levels. There's, you know, you can go back to the pyramids, you can go back to Gobekli Tepe, that that's a whole different era, I think, than what we're talking about here in Tartaria. Um, but yeah, the architecture, I, I you know, I, I like, I lean towards the idea of, of a lot of Moorish influence into it, because you see a lot of their uh, elements in the architecture. Um, and, and, and listening to a lot of Michelle's work, uh, you see the influence of the Moors in a lot of this. But I, yeah, I don't have one specific group that would say, oh, they built all of this. Uh, so to go to go back to box saga a little bit uh they refer to themselves as the arctic people or the so the people from the ark and so when you see a lot of this archaeology or architecture or uh you know archangels yeah archangels it's all it all seems to have to do with this center point and there's this seven thousand year old ostrich egg that has a carving on it of three pyramids and the nile river and at the top you see at the very top of this egg, you see three rings on it and a hole in the top. And it's almost like they're saying, hey, look, this is where Atlantis is, is at the top. And so let's screen share this. I think that's uh, it's a very interesting uh, uh, archaeological find that even shows that the story has some merit. And when you look at the words of Ark, you see it in all of this architecture, right? In the archways and 
all these fabulous buildings and even in the reliefs you see uh, a lot of times gargoyles and stuff like that or and like kind of evil faces that you wouldn't really associate with uh, a church wanting to have on their building if if you know it they built it why would they put those types of things on on it so uh that that's i guess that's my two cents uh i'm gonna kick it over to uh well, Adam and, and, and Dan, just looking looking at the language of that, you go back to the beginning of it, the AR, and then yeah. you know you look at the reverse of that is Ra. Yeah, you, know, you go back to Sun and all that, and it's just it's very interesting that you say that. Now that you know, I'm going to look into that a lot more because that's that's a fascinating connection right there. Yeah, the angels too, right? They're associated with the angels. Yeah, the the Anglo land. Uh, England <laughs> yeah and the angles and uh an interesting thing about the word angel the etymology means a, a circle or a corner which is kind of like the the compass and the square of freemasonry right uh, so that's another interesting connection there but uh yeah chad and uh, adam what you got well, i don't know that i have too much to add on this one that hasn't already been said um fair enough because i'm uh i'm i'm pretty open to to who it could be i i like where michelle goes with the moors for sure um you know uh what blows my mind about the concept of these builders is that it does like a lot of other people have said it seems that these people had a different level of consciousness than we have and um what could happen that makes them able to be taken over and and destroyed um you know it, it either it seems like there had to have been some some kind of major violence whether that was violence from nature or from other man uh you know it's hard to say but uh you know because if i think about well but we are so manipulable in today's culture you know like we are it's it's easy to get people to do whatever where we are we we can be herded in any direction it it seems you know through through all of our our devices and our data collection and all this kind of stuff but what what could have led to the demise of something of a of a of a group of people who were so what i have to assume were so much better than us at uh at understanding the world they live in um yeah you know it's it's it, it's it's kind of a trip to think about but then i think well it's got to have been some kind of cataclysm maybe it was self-destruction um you know high energy weapons gets brought up sometimes and you know was it was it on accident um yeah was it was it not and in you know i mean was it hey we're gonna i mean could it have been something even you know, if we could try and put some, some, I like to play a game sometimes where I put benevolence on the, on the, what I call the predator class, the elites, uh, instead of being predators, you know, what if the destruction of all this was from something that had to do with them trying to get outside of earth and explore what we call space. And that backfired and caused an entire global meltdown or plane meltdown or whatever. And now the, 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 the people that I usually look at 
terribly what I call the predator class. What if they were, what if they're a benevolent group of people are going, what we need to do is keep people suppressed because we know that they're going to want to experience the stars. And we know what happens when we try to get out of this place. You know, I mean, I'm mm. just, I'm just yeah. throwing some shit out there. Just no, that's fun. good. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a trip to think about all that stuff. Adam. Chud, I think you just described that whole, uh, Johnny Lawrence from the karate kid situation, or if you look at it through a different lens, Daniel LaRusso is the bad guy. Yeah. Hey, I but, think it's, uh, I think it's good to do from time to time just is. to keep ourselves on our toes. Trick, man. I it's, need a devil's advocate constantly. <laughs> just constantly just playing that. It's very important. Very yeah. important. Well, um, in the interest of time and, and trying to get through this, well, uh, Michelle's still here. I'm I'll, uh, I'll take a pass on this one. All right. Rando. I'll take a pass on that too. Thanks, man. Romy. Um, okay. Uh, uh, going back to expanding earth theory and potential of there being an Agartha. If there was reptilian people could be symbolic for snakes representing like lower ground, like snakes are never a bad interpretation in my, in my eyes, right? Like to, you know, the snake in a, in the Bible of the, that forest of you know Adam and Eve and that whole story and just snakes being represented, not necessarily being uh, um, you know evil, but they represent like the earth, right? And then I uh, I just think whoever it holds the esoteric knowledge, really, whoever has like the whoever holds the books of the of the, the reign of knowledge that rules everything that happens here on the plane, whoever that is, I have no definitions of who the fuck it is, but whoever's holding the esoteric knowledge and are tapping into inner earth to understand the true power of the planet man that's that's who doing it for me that's all i got for that <laughs> all right uh well let's get into uh some star forts then and uh are they star forts do they have some connection to tartaria are they just bastion forts are they just are they just there to protect uh cities from intrusion uh are they hydroelectric power plants uh, are they city engines? Uh, why were they all over the planet? And what were these star forts protecting? What was the significance of them? Like what was in the middle of them that they need to have all this architecture around them to protect something? That seems like an important question to me. Um, I'm going to shove that off on to Michelle since you're on, on time here. And, uh, Help us understand these star forts a little bit. Okay. I can say yes. <laughs> That's so many of the things that you were saying. Um, they are typically four or five points, but they're in different shapes. And they're typically in at least pairs of two, but sometimes there's three or four and in some places and a lot of small islands have a lot of star forts. Bermuda had a lot of star forts and Fernando and Inorunha off the coast of Brazil had a lot of star forts and the Channel Islands have a lot of star forts. Um, so and then you follow river systems and you find them all up and down rivers and um, they're the same you know, it's the same all over the earth, this heavy masonry. <clears throat> and I, I personally think they were some kind of circuitry or battery on the grid system. 
um, there seems to be some kind of cymatic connection to these star forts with, with regards to their shape. And I'm, I'm not saying I understand how that works in there, but there, you know, a number of people made that connection. And I think they were, when this whole reset happened, I think they were repurposed as military and then they became targets for destruction. So during the Civil War, during World War I, World War II, these star forts were like the first places that got hit. Um, so I think it was just, you know, you know, this looks like a fort and they're all, you know, they're turned into military and they were supposed to have been built as coastal defenses and, and whatnot. Right. right. So why, why would they have been the first place to get hit though? Is <clears throat> that's like my main question is like, what, is there something inside of it? Is it some type of engine? If yeah, they like, I'm sure if they destroy it, does it like stop water from flowing or does it stop the city from working anymore or something? Is that is it like a very weak point for the whole civilization that's built around it? I think, I think a lot were... of it has to do with the specific shape, right? Of it, like having to, does it have to do with the, uh, the, uh, gosh, I'm thinking of uh, sacred geometry of the building of it. I think that's all in there. And um I mean, I think they wanted to destroy the infrastructure of this civilization. You know, what they, they've used a lot of it, but I think they wanted to destroy a lot of it. And that's what the wars were about. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, they don't want humanity to know how advanced we were at one time. I think it's very interesting that there's two of them uh, closely associated with each other. Because that kind of sounds like a binary star system and they're star forts, right? So if you, if you have two uh, star forts in two different locations across from each other, you're basically almost like simulating in uh, uh, like a solar system in a way. Battery or something. Yeah. I like think that's definitely in the mix. Attribute. You know, I, I think there was an energy exchange between the structures on Earth and the celestial bodies. Um, and that, you know, the same concept goes into your question about cathedrals and yeah. what they were doing, you know, about drawing down cosmic energy. So I think there was like an exchange going on, um, you know, between earth and sky. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the controllers or inheritors or whatever you want to call them have, you know, seriously gotten rich <laughs> off of the technology of the original civilization so it's like they they need it and they want it but they also want to destroy it at the same time so you've got you know a lot of infrastructure that's been destroyed but there's still a lot that's still standing oh i'm gonna there's, kick it over to you matt too because i know you've been doing a lot of stuff on star forts on your show yeah uh, what and, and you kind and of more did some crystal in. palaces and stuff too so maybe you can bring up the crystal palaces also because that's interesting too yeah the, the, they're both fascinating i mean the crystal palace is just one of those narratives that doesn't make any sense there was so much glass used to in the construction of it it was a structure that was massive uh i believe it was 1800 feet by about 700 feet um and it was in a cross shape wow. and it was, it was just a massive, and it was all glass, glass and um, uh, iron frame. And so they built this thing in 
six to nine months, supposedly, for the 1851 uh, London Expo. And not only did they build it, but they also dismantled it, moved it, and then supposedly rebuilt it over in Sidem, um, which it stayed there for a period of time and then burnt down. Um, and then how do you burn a glass building? The glass building. Well, (laughs) the the more you look into it, there was a lot of wood in it. Obviously, the flooring was wood. Um, and a a lot of the wow, yeah, look at this thing. I mean, it's 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 just mind blowing. What is this? The AOL days? Hey, Matt, did you? Yeah, um, man, what's what the heck, bro? Did you come up? Did you come across anything that said where all that glass has been manufactured and, and shipped in from? They said it was it was all local. It was all in, from England, and and it's the same thing when you go into because uh, there was multiple Crystal Palaces, right? There was there was the one in uh, London, and then New York did one in in eighteen fifty three for their expo. Yeah, San Francisco had one. Yeah, and then you go. I wonder into- what the technology was that they were showcasing about this Crystal Palace. Was it just the architecture that they built, and that was the wow, or was it holding with certain technology within the building? I, I think it was just another style of architecture that that was, you know. Uh, <laughs> they they did showcase a lot of technologies, not only yeah, at that one, but. No, and my feeling was that was like the official kickoff of the new timeline was the 1851 exposition. But, you know, all the names of the day were there, you know, Samuel Colt and his revolver and, you know, all of these inventions and, um, and then you're right, Matt. I mean, the story is just nonsensical. Oh, it's ludicrous. I mean, you look at the amount of just the supplies alone that were needed. And, and then to tell us it was built in, in, you know, nine months tops, some, some say even six months. I mean, it, it's, it, it goes in with the whole world fair narrative that everything was built at this hyper speed that by t- even today's standards with unlimited budget and unlimited manpower and unlimited equipment, we could not uh, <laughs> recreate. So it's 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 just fascinating and you look and and the interesting one is the german uh glass palace they called it that they said all the glass came from germany and again we're talking mid 1860s late 1860s and it's at a time where glass manufacturing had not been perfected yet so to have it on this scale it just it these things do not make sense with the narrative that they're being told um, so then we bounce over to the star forts. That's another interesting one um, because you look at them and, and there's many more that are being uncovered with people on Google Earth nowadays than were being you know announced in, in the narrative number because you'll see the number anywhere from 1600 to 7,000 to 10,000 possible star forts out there. Um, and I, I you know, the more I look at them, the more questions I have. Um, were they strictly built for defensive purposes? I find that hard to believe. I mean, it, why would you put in all that effort and all, especially like Michelle said, from the, the cymatic and the architectural standpoint to go through all that intricate design just for it to be a defensive structure? Um, 
I'm sure there's many more effective ways to do that than, and these were elaborate. I mean, if we uh, look at some of the uh, patterns of these, it's, it's just mind blowing. They look exactly like snowflakes, stars. Um, some of them have uh, six, eight sided structures around them. I mean, they're just tremendous, but usually one of the other things that they incorporate is water. So when you look at that, that's a, a natural source too, a conductor. And, and one of the other things they said is that maybe those cymatic patterns also impacted the water, which would then impact everything. And, and, and just one more thing to add is, is in addition to these star forts and, and structures like this, there's also a, a bunch of round towers, they're called, that were found throughout Ireland and, and uh, the UK. And they've been found to be uh, excellent conductors as well. Um, and these structures appear all over. Um, and uh, there's been some interesting work on those as well. So I think, you know, and I'm, I, I don't have any facts to back it up, but, you know, one of my theories that I'm leaning on is, is like Michelle said, there was a world grid and it, it was worked with ethereal energy and the architecture on the ground. Um, and, and when they were building structures, they were working with the grid, working with nature. They were giving back as well as receiving. Um, whereas today we just seem to consume, consume, consume. And, and we've lost that connection with, with nature. And that's why things are so out of whack. Oof. Yeah, Beautiful. I agree. I agree with that one. Uh, Roman, what, what do you got to say? Anything? Uh, star forts are cool. Like a, um, someone like my, uh, I recommended earlier, the observation deck. Um, this guy make, makes great documentaries. Uh, he, he does a lot of work on them. Yeah, there, it's, it's, it's huge. There's a massive amount of them. There's star cities, which is cool. Um, oh, shit, I think I have them written down in my notes. Uh, yeah, star cities exist. Um, I think there's something definitely to tapping into the frequency resonance of the areas. You know, they, all these things were, were built very according to the grid. And understanding of the grid is so hard for us to understand because that information is being heavily suppressed. And I think, Michelle, you can tap on that, too, for sure, because it must have taken you just hours of research to try to find where these energetic hotspots were, right? I mean, fucking months, right? How long? <laughs> I've been researching steadily for th over three years now. Yeah. Following, wow. Following oh, I did, alignments. I did, I did have one question, too, uh, for you specifically. It's not tied to the Star Forts, but what do you sorry this completely side rails everything Roman. uh <laughs> but while we have you on the air what about uh bermuda and and energy hotspot there oh, like uh, you said something about bermuda earlier bermuda was full of of star ports it was oh, full of them oh wow and um you can look online um there's a, a map that was supposed to have been drawn by Captain John Smith, who was like the Pocahontas guy or something like that, you know, yeah. Virginia company in the 1600s. Um, but there's an old map, if you look up star forts of Bermuda, and let's, I'm just guessing, let's say there's 20 illustrations of the different ones. And there's still some that are standing. Um, fort or the Fernando de Naranja off the coast of Brazil, small island and there's a dozen at least star forts or former star forts 
um, I, I think there were like, there were certain places that were probably like energy generator power nodes or something like that. And I think that's what those places were. Channel Excellent. Islands too. And I think Crete had a lot. Crete had a lot of starports. Has anybody ever been to one besides the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> mm -mm. Nobody? No. Nope. I, yeah, I mean, no. I, I, I have, um, I grew up in Maryland and went, I remember going on a field trip to Fort McHenry when I was a kid. Um, long before I started waking up to any of this <laughs> stuff. Uh, let's go to, let's go to Mark. Star Forts. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to add to Adam's question. Uh, I will add, though, you know, here where I live in Connecticut, there was a, a fort that was built by the Dutch uh, along the Connecticut River. Like Adam said, on the, you know, Bay of the Hudson River there, you have um, potential star forts. I heard there was one connected to what we now call Wall Street. But yeah, I don't really have much else to add about star forts other than they're they're definitely interesting. And I think when it comes to um, these structures that have clear like geometric patterns, you gotta you gotta imagine they're either you know using some sort of advanced sacred geometry to plan that out, or you know the more mundane theory that it's just tactical. I think it's, it has more to do with sacred geometry and the way water flows. And, but yeah, I don't really have much to add on star forts. All right, Adam and Chad. I guess I'd just be interested in, um, in knowing what it's, what it's like to be at one. I'd, I'd want to research. I, I'm interested in all this stuff and researching what's what's close to me, you know, because I think you yeah. can find anybody in, in, in the world can find something close to them within an hour or two from where they are. But um, I talked to, to Howdy Mikowski on my on my show and he told me about going to Stonehenge and all these different ley lines and talk. He talks about how Stonehenge is, is just a dead site with no energy transfer at all. And then he just goes down the road to all these other unknown um you know stone stone structures and things like that and and he feels an, an amazing sense of energy being transferred from those to him and i wonder i i'm just curious to see if there's anything like that that can still be experienced through these star forts so um there is a stonehenge in your part of the world adam at the mary hill stonehenge uh, i think it's on the border of oregon and washington and okay. And what we're told is that it was built as a, a memorial, war memorial back in the early 1900s or something like that, but it's like a perfect Stonehenge. So that might be a place you could go visit. Did you say Mary Hill or Murray Hill? Mary, Mary Hill Stonehenge. Okay. Interesting to note that there's equally a, a New England Stonehenge in New Hampshire. So we got the one in the, on each side in the north. That's very interesting. There's we one in all, South America good too. Oh, is there? Jeez. We should all take a local trip to our local star forts and uh, do a little uh, video on it or something. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Here's the star city right here, y'all. Uh, Berlin was apparently 
one of the major star cities where the entire kind of like river system, you know, they're probably oh, wow. getting electricity through this waterway here. And yeah. that makes sense. But if you look at Berlin now, like all of this is just huge, you know, cityscape and stuff like that. So they were like, there were major cities built like this as well. You know, and I think we've all seen like the circuit board cities and stuff like yeah, that too. Yeah. And there were star cities in North America too. If you can see, if you look up an old map of Charleston, South Carolina, it's a star city. Wow. And probably New Oof. York too. I would think New York was. Hey, so uh, I got to get going, but um, yeah. if I could add yeah. my my little take on the star fort real quick. Yeah. Um, Because I'd like to link it right back to Vox Saga. <laughs> because... Uh, <laughs> what's interesting is like some of them don't well first of all the shape itself of many of them the specific like arrow headed shape of a lot of the outliers on the on the, you know the outside parts of them they seem to kind of symbolize like the sun to me like sun shining like out because mm, yeah. it looks like mm -hmm, that symbol mm -hmm. that's that's you know it can be the symbol for chaos but it's also like the symbol of a sun where all arrows are pointing outwards in every direction and interestingly enough on another note about the star forts not all of them are star shaped but they're considered star forts uh for various reasons i guess different attributes about them that because... they have in common but like for instance palmanova in italy uh it was built supposedly in 1593 but um it was supposedly a model of utopia and it looks exactly like the ringed city structures of atlantis or udenma oh. of box saga uh, maybe i can pull up a picture hang on and andy it looks like cern Mm -hmm. yeah yep. dude yep. yes it does yeah it does. that goes a little bit into the idea of a binary star system with the sun and the moon aspect and then the whole city existing within that solar system of uh architecture a city system i wonder what the etymology of the word city is really i definitely think there's a connection to electricity <laughs> electricity electricity yeah. and i'm gonna have to jump off um all right yeah, uh, i am too but i wanted to share a picture real quick with you guys if, if i could well thank you very much michelle for joining us we appreciate you here uh yeah, definitely help you so uh, much, definitely help smooth some of the other things out that we had going on in our heads and and uh answered questions a little bit deeper than most of us could so we appreciate that and uh, I know a lot of people will love you around here. So uh, give out uh, if anybody wants to get in contact, let me know. I, I can get you in touch with Michelle if that's okay with you. Yeah, please. That would be wonderful. Excellent. And, um, and Romy, I'll send you the map that I found of South Carolina. There's like two old maps that show it nice. as Thank a star you. city. Uh, but great. I I'm, was really glad to be here and honored to be here. So thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Thank Michelle. You. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Beautiful night. And thank you, Andy. Everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Come check me out at the Deep Share if you don't already. And you guys rule. Thank you so much for doing this and doing this entire Tartaria month, man. These guys.
killed it all month long all these guests you had on it was unbelievable man yeah so uh thank you yeah Fuck yeah, yeah we wanted to try to cover as many different aspects of it without actually covering it <laughs> in a way you know and and just so that we could have this conversation right now because if you listen to the shows you you realize that there's a jesuit connection you realize there's some biblical connection you realize there's an alchemy connection uh i think there's a lot of important things even some of them that we missed and didn't get to do stuff about which is uh astrology i think is another big connection that we need to break into maybe next time if we if we do another tartaria month we need to get into uh the astrology aspect and there's several other ones too i'd like to get in touch with golden gate starfort command and talk about the city beautiful movement and stuff like that too and uh a lot of other things um that we could could have covered but thank you very much andy we appreciate your time here sir and uh, thanks guys and being Pre nice thank you appreciate it see you and uh who and hasn't... I gotta get going too. It's yeah, it's right, one, right. one o'clock yeah, out here. I'm I gotta get the hat. Guys. All right. Yeah. You wanna uh <laughs> you wanna do one more thing, Randy, on uh, uh Star Forts and then uh Yeah, yeah, let me chime in on that. How about um guys, you know Matt was talking about the crystal palaces and the problem being with the glass manufacturing, right? Yeah, you look at some of these star forts and you look at a problem of okay, where are the bricks coming from, right? Or uh, in particular, there's one. It's 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 the same problem. You have a supply issue with when these things were supposed to have been built, right? How do you come up with all these bricks or all this masonry to, to create a star fort? Manufacturing plants, right? But if you <laughs> if you break down to the the volume that you're able to pump out any given year or for that time period, you're running into a similar problem as. Vaccines. How are they getting all the glass for all it this? Uh, it time palaces. to make the, the, the equipment to it is to order it, to get it made, to get it built. Like that's from, you know, yeah. like, it, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah even that's, just, that's all just milling all the wood for, for the world's fairs and stuff like that. Like just it milling months. it all. It's a yeah. logistical nightmare. All of it. Yeah. And then getting it there. Yeah. Yep. Fuck. Well, good night guys. All right. Thank Thank you. Everyone, Randy. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'm gonna be cutting out too, guys. Yo, Chud and I've been going for five I've got hours. A, a big <laughs> no old day tomorrow. All right, there you go. Go and go and kick that Thanks, day's guys. ass, man. <laughs> go check out uh, Deborah gets red pill, and uh, their sub podcast into the apocalypse. It won't be as confusing soon, guys. We'll we'll change it up. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a great job, y'all. Excellent. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Yeah, Dan, thank you so much for putting this together. Mark was yeah. awesome hanging out again. Chudex, we'll see you soon. Romy. Yeah. Do you actually, do you remember meeting me in person? Fuck yeah, dude. You're kidding at yeah. Manifest, baby. Yeah, yeah. Of course I remember that shit. You and Dean. Yeah. Chilling by the fire drink. Yeah, we got to talk to Dean. Right. Yeah. All right, guys. Fuck yeah. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Later. All right, peace. Later. And we're left with the mystical, magical... <laughs>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.